The discussion of cats is a difficult matter. It isn't one of our very best. You may think at first I'm mad as a hatter when I tell you that we have three different guests. First of all, there's the wonderful Phil Bagnall. Meow. There's the fantastic Jen Gannon. Hello. And there's the sensational Luke Dunn. Hi, I'm Floozy Woozy, the coughing cat. <laughs> <coughs> With a G, which we have to be clear. Um, but yes, uh, and joining me as always is my co-host Andrew Quinn. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, that's not necessary. Um, um, but... Andrew Cream? Does, does that work? No. And Andrew it, Cream? something more... Um, that's uh, your Jason Derulo cat name. Jellicle, yeah. Um, but yes, so... <laughs> Are we all? Are we giving each ourselves jellical names now? Well, I have a jellical name, Jellical Gannon. It just fits. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there so we it's go. Done. Yeah. Um, but yes, so we are here today to discuss the one, the only Tom Hooper Universal Studios sensational musical masterpiece adaptation of T. S. Eliot and Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats Now and Forever, apparently. Listeners Amen. of the show will, will know, by the way, that Darren is speaking, how, how he feels about it. Uh, but yes, so it is currently ranked as the 35th worst movie of all time. What? It's notable. I know, what a surprise. It's notable it's one for... one of those bottom 100 episodes. I, as opposed to, yeah, the, the top what, 250. What, 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 a, what a surprise bottom? and twist that was. I was supposed to be here as a, for this to be a marker of quality. Oh, here, I'm gone. Notable as being the first Universal Studios picture that we've covered on this. Um, Sony have a very good track record of getting down here, but this is the first time we've been discussing this in Universal, been on here. This is notable uh, as well for being a film that was conceived arguably as a cannot fail hit. It comes from a director who has won the Best best Director and Best Picture Oscar for his work on The King's Speech. He's done excellent work in musicals where he's garnered Oscars for his work on films like, say, Les Miserables, where uh, Anne Hathaway took... <laughs> and Hathaway took home a Best Supporting Actor was Oscar it, for it. Um, but was it kind of fail to get on the bottom 100? It's like, <laughs> come on, guys. I mean, there's notoriety one way or another. You've got CGI, throw in a bit of James Corden. Um, like, Tay-Tay like, for the kids. Bad CGI like um, like uh, uh, Baby Geniuses, James Corden, like the Emoji movie. Kind of uh, put a, 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 a few a more elements story. together, and and we have an existing property as well. Yeah, brand recognition, ladies and gentlemen. Um, actually, this is probably a good segue to talk about this. So, do you? Have, first question: Has anybody or everybody here seen the actual Andrew Lloyd Webber musical cast? Yes. No. No. I was there. Kind of. <laughs> okay, well, we'll start with Jen and then move on. Jen is the most definitive. Actually. And it was naff. Cats has always been naff, and I think that's what people maybe didn't understand about the film. If you if you're not aware of exactly what it's like as a theater performance, and it's just a load of people running around in like leggings and, and leg warmers themselves. and like trying to sit on you, which is very disturbing. Cats were my nemesis growing up, so I I was not attuned to being brought, dragged to see humans playing sex. Oh, okay, you mean like actual animals when you say yep. cats was your nemesis, not yeah. like Andrew no, Lloyd No, but Webber. also Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats, <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough. Um, and again, I remember me and my sister went, uh, my mom's friend brought, brought us, and we both looked at each other as if to go, why are we here? This is terrible. And, we, and I was seven, so I don't know, I, I should have liked any old tat. That someone wanted to bring me to and stuff me full of Maltesers. But no, it was not an enjoyable experience. I just think, like, musically wise, Andrew Lloyd Webber is fairly tacky. 
Mm. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think he's known for subtlety or nuance or nuance, we might say. Hey. Hey. Oh, getting us started. There'll be, be a lot yeah. more to come. Um, yeah, I just always thought it was dreadful and a dreadful idea because it just doesn't have any kind of emotional resonance. There's no story. So no. it's just a load of people introduce themselves and then they just leave. Yeah, as I'm cat, glad you're gone. As cats <laughs> usually do, they walk in this as if to say, hi. And then when they see they're not getting food, they will go off. Well, I mean, it's, it's worth noting in terms of Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, musical, why he picked Cats was he's apparently working on Evita at the same time and having a great deal of difficulty working with the writer of the book and his lyricist at the time as well. Um, himself and Tim Rice were having difficulties. So he decided his that... His darling. <laughs> so he decided that the best approach to take um, to writing a musical would be to basically pick a bunch of lyrics that already existed mm. and set them to music. Uh, and apparently he decided that the ideal format for that was T.S. Eliot's... Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, a childhood favourite of Lloyd Webber's, apparently. Yes. That should say everything he needs to know about Andrew Lloyd Webber if that's his childhood favourite Only Andrew Lloyd Webber would kind of proudly announce that kind of hack yeah. <laughs> fold it into his list. You could use it as an inspiration for something, but... the. I, I'm a big T.S. Eliot fan, but this is, even as adaptations go, this is shockingly literal. It's like, the the lyrics are word for word Eliot's prose. Yeah. 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 Hardly he, any change. He doesn't have to pay any songwriters for it. He doesn't have to work with a lyricist on it. The only song that's original in there is, is Memory, which I suspect we're going to talk about in a bit more depth later on. And all but, the other songs, it's like, um, how are we going to make these musical? Just kind of Musical. get people to sing them. Yeah. Don't, don't think about whether like it's going to... And set them to the worst sounding music so ever. Bad. From yeah. like 1980s Doctor yeah. Who soundtrack with a synth. And yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there were moments there where I thought I was watching A Clockwork Orange. You wished you were. Oh, I wish. Yeah. The Wendy Carlos soundtrack is God level. This is not God level. This is like... Satan level. It's on the bottom Someone is trying to do that on a kazoo. That's what most of what that sounds like. It's bad, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking, kind of, are m- movies going to be like this? Like, with, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but no, <laughs> um, no, I, I think that this was a movie for people who like cats, and I think if if, if you <laughs> that was our first you know, mistake, like, like the musical cats, and that's oh, okay. that's that's a kind of a um, uh, maybe a sort of a niche enough thing. There are people who really like it, um, and I mean, like, and I mean, it ran on Broadway for like what. Yeah, twenty-one years worth, on the West End, eighteen like, years on Broadway. When you Shocking. say this is the this is a film for people who like cats, two things. First of all, I was at the press screening for this with people who actually loved cats, and their anger coming out of it was like <laughs> you could heat yourself to it. Um, oh wow! Yeah, um, we'll talk about some of the differences that Tom Hooper kind of adjustments or adaptational choices he but, made later on. How can you say like, oh, they weren't faithful to the the source material because like what source material I was going to say I when I was I think 11 or, or 12 uh, we were on a package holiday kind of thing in Lanzarote and the hotel that we were staying at was mostly Germans and you know they had that kind of naff yeah entertainment evening entertainment kind of a thing so one of the evenings they, they put on a kind of shortened production of Cats oh no entirely in German oh and as an 11 year old better or worse well when you're seeing all these these people in kind of leggings and cat makeup kind of grind around confused holiday makers you just kind of go well I assume 
the fact that it's in German is why it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then years later, I remember my brother telling me about what Cats is and kind of describing the songs and just having that baffled reaction of, but like, what's it about? <laughs> it's not about anything. They, they, they sing a bunch of songs to see who gets to go to heaven. <laughs> the heavy side layer, please. Let's get our mythology right. We don't want angry Cats fans on us. I'm already angry at this film. We all want to die. Yes, we all want to go to the heaverside layer now. I can kind of because if you use the poems as kind of a base, I can kind of make sense mostly of of the songs in Cats because basically what they all are is the kind of funny little things that people ascribe to their cats. You know, like oh, I can't find my spoon. Oh, you've nicked it, haven't you? But as a Broadway song. <laughs> or like you know, I can imagine some like horrible, like abused creature on a railway line, and some like kind of old <laughs> Sibyl Shanks. Come here, you train conductor being like, "Oh, the trains don't move unless that cat's there." Kind of you know, people talk this way yeah. about cats. It's true. What's well, worth noting? But, cats, but cats then they go. And now we pick, pick which one goes to heaven. But <laughs> to then the, one, the, the, one, the one that sings Memory, so what's her name? Grisabella. She's, she's just slut-shamed. Yeah. That's a really oh. weird thing to put on a cat. Oh. Like, because all these cats are fairly horny, let's just say. This is the Why horniest. Are they so horny? But um. then she's like set apart for being the horniest one and like that's supposed to be shameful. It's so odd to me. Like, Do we, do we want to jump into that now or will we save that until we get the spoilers I think we better out? save but how that. can you have a spoilers on for this? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no narrative. Exactly. exactly. Well, <laughs> well, I suppose, okay, well, let's put more structure on this podcast than there is on the movie, shall we? And save. Okay. Very quickly, we're just going to do a quick round-the-table lightning round before we jump on in. All right. So, Phil. Yes. Do you think that Cats belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? It's the worst thing I have seen in a cinema in years. Really? I, wow. I, well, bear in mind. He doesn't see watch as later. many things as you do. Fair I don't watch as many things as I used to either. But even setting all that apart, I was not prepared for how atrocious this is. And for sheer and giggles and still coasting a bit on the anger I felt, yes, yes, I would. Okay. And Jen? It's a terrible film, but (laughs) I enjoyed the spectacle of horror that it was in a way because I was blown away by how bizarre it is. Um, if you've ever want to see Ian McKellen licking out of a bowl, this is a film for you. And yeah. I was just... It, it, and that is not a euphemism. It made me so happy in, the, in a weird way because it, it is so terrible. might also be a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, no, it, it deserves its place. It does. But um, I think there are a lot worse films out there in a weird way because it, it kind of... I love the way it unified so many of yeah. us. For just the fact that how bizarre it was. And I like that. That like something can still catch people that are fairly jaded about pop culture off guard and go, <laughs> we've never seen anything the likes of this before. That is true. I mean, even somebody who hates it as much as I do, I have to give it that. It's it's a spectacle. It's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's not every sense. <laughs> like, I felt like if I were to go out through the bathroom at some stage during the movie and walk back in, I'd just look up and see so many punches to, and all of them would have that same expression, their jaws hanging. Because you, I genuinely couldn't believe some of the images. And actually, to, to double down on, on what Jen said there, I saw this, I've seen this twice 
It oh, was the first movie, I, first movie I saw in the cinema in 2020. So first film I've seen this decade in a cinema. Woo! Me too. Yeah. Oh my God, we're definitely going to that. It's all uphill from here. <laughs> we are all going to the to the heavy side layer. Um, but it is when I first saw it, I first saw it as part of a double bill screening day. It was, and we'll talk about this a bit later on, it was so down to the wire that Universal didn't actually schedule a screening of it in Britain until the last minute, which meant that it ended up being screened for critics two hours before the new Star Wars, which had been announced months in advance. Um, Tom Hooper famously boasted he finished the cut of the movie that critics saw eight hours before they actually saw it. Apparently having worked for 36 hours straight on that cut of it. And still um, couldn't get those hands right. Oh, Show yeah. Show them oh. hands, Judy Dench. <laughs> yeah, Take that ring off. We're, we're going to talk about that as well. Um, out, people should sleep. Crazy concept. Spending 36 hours editing yeah. a movie to hit a premiere or preview date. Um, but I saw it the same day that I saw Rise of Skywalker um, as well. And that was a day that made me want to give up on movies as an art form. <laughs> that, was a, that was a day where it was like, I've been doing this for about 10 years now. This was the day that I was like, well, I mean, movies are done. I'm just like, I've theater been doing like <laughs> yeah. What about music? <laughs> television. I hear there's good stuff in television. I'm actually glad that movies have broken you. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of like what, 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 what Darren will be without movies. Um, but it's okay because I had the Christmas break to recover from it. But oh, it's not enough, back. is it? I'm back. But to, to, to remark on what Jen said there, which is the idea of this film as, as kind of a unifying thing, because so much of pop culture is fragmented and angry and full of shouting, and particularly when we're coming into Oscar season, where you have what I think uh, Nate Jones at Vulture describes as, you know, the Oscar villain being determined, where people can't determine which they hate more. Do they hate Joker more? Do they hate Marriage Story more? Do they hate The Irishman more? And you've got this arguing online... It's great to have a movie that we can all sit down together and agree we have never seen anything like this and probably never will again. God but willing. There's something almost beautiful in that, I would say. A beautiful ghost. <laughs> <laughs> the Grammy Award nominated beautiful ghost. Oh my God. Uh, no, sorry, not Grammy. Sorry, Golden Globe nominated. Apologies. Well, no, that means apologies, to the, <laughs> apologies to the Grammys. We don't want to sully you so. As a Golden Globe. Yeah. Oh, it's a Grammy. And uh, Luke, do you, uh, th- do you think that this movie belongs on the list of the 100 worst movies ever made? On the list, I'd say yes, because it has horrified the general public <laughs> so much. And, you know, the general public can use... Uh, the, we can that, use a good horrifying good out again. System every once I love that we've reached the Batman Begins stage of film criticism. They, People they, need images to shock them out of apathy. <laughs> I mean, they, they watch. You can be a symbol. They cast. watch so many bad things uh, and take them in so so willingly and so so joyfully. They did. They deserve something like this every once in a while. Um, all right, and Andrew. Um, it's always a very difficult question to ask, uh, but. I feel like there's 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 a lot to enjoy about this and 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 I think a lot of it is to to enjoy how bad it is but there's also there's some stuff that that is done well right what I but I but I, I did hate this movie <laughs> um, but, um, I mean I like musicals but I don't 
it, they never stop singing at any point. Like, not even for two minutes. No, well, I mean, you do, you stop it so Rebel Wilson can make terrible cat puns and jokes no, about castration the, in Spain. The music sort of just gets a little quieter. So in that the background. They can, in the background, yeah. Um, and you have Idris Elba up here so he can magically whisk her away in the middle of the Whisker? Song. Whisker? Ah, 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 I hate myself. Um, all right, then. And then second question. Would it be on your own list of the worst 100 films that you've ever seen? Phil. Oh, hell yeah. I, again, I, I'm i that kind of person. Unlike you, Darren, I don't, I don't write about films or criticize films in a semi-professional way. So I have, to, I have to be picky about what I watch. And when you get a particularly bad movie, you have to think, oh, yeah, this has to be one of the worst. And this, again, this is one of the worst films I have seen in... It's probably the worst film I've seen since Terminator Genesis. And that's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody isn't this bad. Uh, Bird Uh, Box isn't this bad. Bohemian Rhapsody is this bad. It genuinely is this bad because I, the narrative of Bohemian Rhapsody is but it people has, are kind of evil. It <laughs> still has an, That's more narrative than this has. That's, is, do we want this, that narrative? I'm not getting into that discussion. <laughs> Jeez. It's, yeah, so as we point out, this narrative do, does have its own narrative, particularly with Grisabella, as Jane yeah, pointed does, out, which we'll get into in a little bit, I suspect. Um, yeah, it, it is bad. This is awful. I, I mean, like, this is really awful. No, I like it's this, on my list. I liked it more than Bohemian... Rhapsody, because Bohemian Rhapsody, Rhapsody took the something top that, by the way. that I liked. <laughs> yeah, it's it number is. one! <laughs> it took Queen, and, um, well, I, I don't know. Like, there, I suppose there is nothing kind of uh, sacred um, uh, about Queen, but it, it, it's a band that I really um, loved. And That's they, to be all. Yeah, yeah. But and it neutered it. Yeah, to use yeah. an appropriate metaphor. Exactly. Yeah. But Sorry, this is can't see, but I'm doing the Rebel Wilson gesture. At least, at Ooh. least, at least with cats, it's something that I don't care about. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. Definitely, because I think Bohemian Rhapsody is much, much worse. Something like that. It's more. Than Bohemian Rhapsody so is more offensive. offensive. This is just terrible, but in an enjoyably terrible way. Well, to almost. be, I will say, I am a massive fan of the works of T.S. Eliot. I'm clutching my copy. I notice nobody's possible. jumping up to defend Andrew Lloyd Webber, though. Oh God! No, no, no! <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber for what he's done to T.S. Eliot's work. No, he can go and jump. Um, yeah, I just despise this film. I'll, I'll defend the only Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that is any good is Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, here, here. What a soundtrack. But uh, no, yeah. I, I, horny yeah, Jesus greater, greater than Horny Cats. Although exactly. To, to, Sexy Jesus always wins. To be fair, I did find myself at several points during this film going, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no uh, Superstar, just... Uh, by the way, to, to put this in, because a lot of us have been disparaging of Cats the musical and will continue to be for the rest <laughs> of the podcast, so don't worry. But to put this in perspective, Cats has grossed nearly $3 billion worldwide. Um, its take-home tune, Memory, is the most successful Broadway musical tune ever. Um, Cats... It's actually ex- not a bad tune either. No. It's not. It's quite good. Well, I mean, uh, famously... Um, Why didn't they make the other songs better? They, they're... <laughs> Well, famously, Lloyd Webber uh, needed a big musical number to tie it all together, to tie the story and narrative together. And to get an emotional And he wanted something that sounded like Puccini. Um, It's actually exactly what he was going for. And when he wrote it, in fact, he thought it was so good, it might have actually been a Puccini piece that he'd actually written or copied from memory, ironically. so funny. Um, (laughs) Just like looking at the new Puccini. Oh, like, no. 
<laughs> I suck. This I couldn't good. possibly have done this by myself. He apparently, he apparently took it to his father's house, played it for his father, who was also a Puccini expert, and asked him if it sounded like anything. And his response was, that sounds like a million dollars, but it doesn't sound like a Puccini song, which is good. God, uh, the family sounds horrific. <laughs> Christmas must be fun. It sounds like a million dollars. Um, but in terms of they this... They all speak like this. <laughs> it can, you! When it was on Broadway, it was the longest-running Broadway show ever. It was the most profitable and successful one until it was replaced by Phantom of the Opera. Um, when it was in New York, um, the production cost of moving it cost $4.5 million, but it started taking in half a million dollars in profit every week. It was sold out six months in advance. It was a huge cultural phenomenon. And obviously it, it became its own cultural marker. Very famously, Ian McKellen appears as a party guest in Six Degrees of Separation, <laughs> decrying the existence of cats, uh, which kind of makes it a nice character Didn't act. he see the irony? Yeah. Ian, come on! Uh, even the other off-Broadway musicals, like uh, Rent, was written apparently as a response to cats, because uh, it was like, people are coming to see cats. Let's actually make a movie musical that's important. And Angels in America features a wonderful sequence and in the film it's, it's Roy Cohen the character so he's played by Al Pacino and he's talking on the phone to some person he really disdains and he's like uh, I got your tickets to Cats it's Cats they sing you'll love it um, and he hangs up the phone while making a wanker gesture um, but yes and so, then there's the famous uh, Saturday Night, Night Live yes. sketch as well about like Cats being like the longest running musical and they all want to kill themselves yes. in backstage <laughs> which is brilliant which has James Vanderbeek in it like Dawson yeah. himself and Amazing. he's actually so funny in it you can get it on YouTube and it's really funny we'll include the show notes one of Chris Parnell's first ones that he wrote for the show as yeah. well I believe as well so in terms of confluence the problem is they use the, they actually use memory um, in, the, in the clip so they can't legally put it online but we will find no. it kind of and it's David Schur as well yeah Parks and Rec yeah so it's a really good sketch um, but yeah they, they can't put it online sadly <laughs> um, so Jen would this be on your own personal list if you're the worst 100 movies you've ever seen oh god I've seen a lot of bad films I, I was in the cinema uh, to see Cop and a Half which was a Burt Reynolds film. Oh, the infamous cop in a half. Yeah, so I've, I've seen that. One of the worst kids in cinema history. hundred percent. So no, I don't know. It, it, it's it's there. It's somewhere there. Didn't he? Didn't he play? Uh, he was. He was the kid in um, Fresh Prince. Was well, he? Wasn't he? The kid from Cop and a Half. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we talked about this he before. Oh my god! Because, because and, and I he has an affectionate memory I, of Cop and a Half. I, yeah, but I I had a dream where where that oh, child from Cop dear. and a Half was my child. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 he 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 was um, he was what's his name? Nicky Banks from. Um, from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, uh, paging Doctor Freud, and I've also seen My Father the Hero in cinema as well, which was uh, Gerard Depardieu oh, with his yeah. a teenage girl who was his daughter, but it also kind of was a bit incesty. That's all the way I can describe it. Bloody so French. I've seen both of them in the cinema. So I've got to think they're probably worse than Cats. At least at the end of Cats, I did. I, I mean, I have memories of how, <laughs> of how ridiculous this film is and yeah so maybe it, it'd be somewhere in the hundred but it's definitely not like the worst film I've ever seen not after that <laughs> and Luke uh, no it, I, I wouldn't put it on my own list of the worst films that I've ever seen because I've watched a lot of terrible it's not even the worst film I've watched for this podcast fair point <laughs> <laughs> um Listeners can find Luke talking about baby geniuses to super geniuses later this year. I, I, no, no. You can't make me do the sequel to that movie. It's on air now. You've got it. But I want to be clear. Like, Cats is really bad. 
but it's not so bad that I would put it on, on, on my list of the worst movies of all time. My issue with it is that for all the horrors that it, that it has, it doesn't go far enough with all that. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it certainly doesn't capture, I, I don't think, the, the appeal of, of the musical, whatever that might be. Um, my, my, my issue with it is that Cats the movie kind of takes the cocaine-fueled ambition of Andrew Lloyd Webber and combines it with the ambient-fueled ambition of Tom Hooper <laughs> and creates a black hole of bad taste from which nothing good can escape. Un- unconsummated <laughs> bad taste as well. It, it's like, like, like a, a black mass of, of terrible kind of stuff. But it, it's just this kind of all-encompassing mediocrity yeah. Rather than the kind of depths of, of terrible, which I've sunk to occasionally on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, no. And Andrew, um, I I don't know. Like like I I feel like there are there are underrepresented movies that probably are, like ought to be on the um, on the bottom one hundred, um, but they're but they're just kind of boring. So like if I, if it. Um, like we've talked about the notional rules of this. Is this that you're going on a desert island and, and you're only you're, allowed to take hundred movies? You've one hundred bad movies that you're allowed to take in addition to the two hundred and fifty best movies. And so but you smuggle in as much fun you, as you can you, in that. Can. But yeah, but you can't just put good movies in. They yeah. need to be bad ones so that they can put them on the bottom yeah. one hundred. So yeah, no, no customs I, officials going to be like ah trying to put the Godfather in here. I put it. I put this on. I'd like the. It would be. It would be. It would, it would be funny if I actually knew the words to like one of the really forgettable um, songs in this movie chances are we'll be quoting some of them later on yeah yeah exactly so yeah yeah i i I, I would i would put this in although i'll 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 say again there were there were there were things about this that like it, it it wasn't absolutely terrible in the sense that it wasn't like all of the bits that 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 could have been worse like were were also not good but um yeah but um yeah just, just to clarify, it yeah. didn't it didn't achieve absolute um, like abject um, uh, badness, and like it was objectively bad, but not absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, it, it is, is in that. But weird... I, I'd, 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 I'd keep it on my own. Yeah. This yeah. is turning into a scene from Amadeus. No, no, <laughs> he has yet to achieve mediocrity. <laughs> but that's the thing is that again you have like because obviously the stage show is built around performers in leotards, largely inspired by eighties fashion. Um, so they're, they're, no way! Yeah, so they're in I've the seen those pictures. But it's because clear. because they found the that, fur coats. And stuff, that's yeah. the fur coats and the little uh, arm warmers and leg warmers reminded them of paws as well. So like it's that not horrible, like it just needs punk, to be forgotten. Punk uh, hair wigs as well for the cats on the stage show and makeup on their faces. I hated like that. this. Um, the, like the 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 feeling of mm. kind of all of the there there was there was a horrible uh, scene featuring a whole lot of like kind of pearls and kind of um oh yeah oh yes. and things that made me feel really sick like, <laughs> but, um, but that's just me but we'll probably we'll unpack that a bit later yeah, yeah. i think um, and then final question um phil if people haven't seen cats yet should they pause the podcast run out watch it come back and listen to the rest um since i've seen it people have asked me about it and i tell them no don't see it it's the worst thing i've seen in so long and when i describe it to them they just go i kind of want to see it now so i feel like i want to dissuade people but i'm going to have to do it in a reverse psychology kind of way 
So if you're asking me if people should see us, yes. Yes, you should. Nobody can tell you how bad Cats is. You have to see it for yourself. Thank you, Morpheus. Um, and Jen. I want everyone to see this. I want everyone to experience <laughs> the unique horror of Cats. I need to look at someone and know that we've been through the same experience. <laughs> and we have seen too much. Um, yeah, I, everyone needs to see Cats. Basically, you know, run, don't walk to the cinema. Really. Don't pause. Yeah. Oh, uh. Sorry, I was feeling feline pretty good no! about that one. Okay. <laughs> and Luke. Uh, yes, I had to see it twice, so everyone should have to see it three times. <laughs> it's the only fair way. Yes, I've also seen it twice. Um, and Andrew. I say um, no. I, I, I like go. I maybe maybe no. Go see a good movie. No, don't. <laughs> Don't see that. If, if, uh, like, because if you're going to the cinema to see this, there's probably other movies on in the cinema at the same time. That are decent and reasonable. There's not it's that not many cinemas these days with just the one screen. And if there were, they wouldn't be showing cats. So. I love the idea of the one screen cinema, like the, Ze- the Zelig in New York, being like, hey, well, we got, we, we got Star Wars opening and we got cats opening. I know where my money is. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 was, I was going up to, to Dublin last uh, month day and i was uh, um i was talking i was telling my mother that i was going to see um knives out and that i was looking forward to it um and it's good to to go see a movie that i'm looking forward to she's saying why would you watch movies that you're not looking forward to going seeing it's like but it's a a cinematic event i'm sorry i mean yes yeah we know we you're never going to see the likes of this again because God knows they're never going to make something like this again. And it's probably talk. better that you watch it in the cinema as well. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a great communal cinematic experience. As as you I mean, leave the cinema, you make eye contact with somebody else, and you know you've been through something. Yeah, a woman it's, said, and like when the lights went up, when I saw it, turned to her friend and went, "I missed the last." train for this <laughs> I mean when your village is struck by missiles it is an event <laughs> that is experienced by I said cinematic I love the idea of kind of like leaving the screening as the people lining up for the next screen are walking in and it being like the tune with Charlie Sheen um, it's like afterwards we'll know that we've shared an experience and it, I, I, it's an experience as well I think we saw it with people who were enjoying it that I like, could not like earnestly, like yeah. sincerely, like not ironically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, no. excited about it and found like all of the 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 the, the terrible kind of darn um, level joke. Sorry, no, <laughs> you're a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but the 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 yeah, they found the 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 humor of it hilarious and and um and we're 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 probably fans of cats, I guess, and um the musical. Yeah. Um, yeah, and who, who now and who forever were, who are enjoying this, and but I feel like they wanted to stand up at the end and clap and start a standing ovation. <laughs> yeah, from the front but around. then they heard me just glowering at them. The, but my stare. The first time I went to see it, there was a standing ovation at the end from the people sat behind me who were watching it ironically <laughs> <laughs> oh thank god i felt bad laughing yes I, I did feel bad because there was I, somebody a couple of seats over from us who was there i think whether with her mother or somebody like that and uh, i i did i didn't want to laugh 
because yeah it can be impolite if if everyone in the yeah. cinema isn't kind of here All for that kind of I thing i gave myself an injury to stop myself laughing because i actually bit my tongue and it's actually it's still really painful so that's tom hooper's revenge on me <laughs> and i'd like to think as well that i'm not so irony poisoned that i can like take a film as it is and kind of not go in with kind of predetermined no. expectations and yeah well i think my cats but can. but 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 <laughs> Judy Dench <laughs> turning to the screen, staring you dead in the face, raising and her leg over her head. Come on, yeah, that's, that, like that's I, the most ooh, disturbing thing I've seen. I couldn't help it. Um, and you know, it wasn't. It was an amazing uh, kind of screen to see with because you had people behind me like that, kind of hooting and hollering all the way through. I had old people bewildered. I had people leaving. You know, there were children there. Actually, both times I went to see it, there were a lot of children. And were they weeping? They should have been. Uh, they were kind of agitated. You yeah. can always tell. But, but that, it was it was intended for families. Actually, is the thing. Oh. I, I uh, think like there's t- something in there for but, daddy. There's a lot in there. We're going to talk about that. I think we're going to talk about. I suspect we're going to talk a lot about that in a moment. But um, also, it was intended for families. Tom Hooper himself has talked about seeing cats at the age of eight. Yeah, but then and he said, <laughs> if they weren't cats, if they were humans doing this. Would you have? I don't know if you'd brought an eight, you'd bring an eight year old to see that. Oh, he said that. Yeah. If, these human, if they were, these were humans doing half these things, I think they'd be arrested. Yeah. But I mean, they did, and we're going to talk about this again in the sports zone, they did like digitally disendow, disendow certain actors um, and endow others. Oh, yes. I think I know which one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. there will always be lazy parents, you know. <laughs> I think this film, uh, it, it seems to me, maybe you'll. I'm, I'm wrong, but it seems like it's being pitched more as a kid's film yeah. now than it was a few weeks ago. Fair point. Because well, you can just kind of obfuscate the truth of what it's about and go, here are pop stars you recognise and experience the magic and blah, blah, blah. And once you're done, you're going to go home with Kafka dreams. Good night, everybody. <laughs> but like parents will always kind of look and go, oh, it's CGI. My kids are off school. You yeah. Know? It's weird that parents... And people and, like animals, right? Talking animals. Yeah. It's a talking animal film. It's weird that parents and kind of rating agencies... More than talking think it's better to like remove genitalia from things <laughs> kind of like like that's the thing that's more terrifying is genitalia the thing, <laughs> the, just the the thing that makes it less terrifying is just removing yeah, it's just like, having an entirely smooth but still recognizably human shaped body right yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, just everything away Oh, yeah, 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 and let's and, not forget. And exactly, we've been coming out of their bottles. <laughs> yeah. um, and in fact, actually, tails as well that come from above and kind of. Oh, the they didn't look like anything else at all, what? did they? they? A lot of tails like, between legs here. Skimble Shanks has a hole in the back of his pants for his tail to come through. It's just a lot. <laughs> is that is that a fact? <laughs> Can I leave? Is that, <laughs> has that ever been done on this show before? All right, then we're going to segue neatly. <laughs> Into the spoiler zone. <laughs> the greatest magicians have something to learn from Mr. Mistopheles' conjuring turn. So we all say, Oh, well, I never have I ever seen a film so whatever as Tom Hooper doing Andrew Lloyd Webber. Sorry, that was the that, best we had. That was <laughs> off the cuff. I'm impressed. <laughs> it was not off the cuff. <laughs> oh, no. Um, prepares for everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so I normally point at a particular guest and ask this question. What I'm going to do in this case <laughs> is I'm going to throw it out into the table 
And whoever wants to jump on it like it's a human Pound face, sandwich. like a human, yeah, like a human-faced mouse or cockroach, please feel free to do so. So, Phil, Jen, Luke, what is Cats about for you? Cats is about how Jellicles can and Jellicles do. Jellicles do and Jellicles can. Joke, you know, <laughs> it's about descending joke. into madness. To steal a joke, uh, I think, from, I think steal a joke Luke's been Guy, broken. To steal a joke from Guy Lodge, they were so busy thinking about whether Jellicles can or Jellicles do, they never stopped to think whether Jellicles should. <laughs> Cats is about how you can make songs catchy not through any skill or, or lyricism, but by just repeating the lyrics over and 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 over again. And theft. Don't forget theft. I... Oh no, no, T.S. Eliot won a Tony for this. Apparently all the other Tony nominees were really ticked off by that. Oh, I really can't believe Because he was dead. Yes. Gratefully rolled over in his grave. To and and uh, the, the sound of him spinning in his grave has not left my ears since before I saw this what, thing. Do, do we want, like, just to talk very briefly about the T.S. Eliot connection. Apparently the T.S. Eliot estate, including his widow, were very, very enthusiastic about this. Um, Eliot... Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody expected the musical to actually make money. But what the Disney had talked about adapting it as an animated film in the style of the Aristocats. Which would um, have been much better. Please. Well, it had to. Well, it couldn't be any worse. Yeah. But apparently the Elliot estate said, no, we don't want that. That's not what T.S. would have wanted for his work. <laughs> he wants um, some more he wanted this. human cat people. <laughs> it was like, imagine if you will. He wanted a, he wanted a load of Zig Zig Sputnik wannabes on stage do you want prancing know, about. Do you want to know what sold uh, Valerie Elliott to sign off on the rights to Andrew Lloyd Webber? This is going money. to be very disturbing. About that. <laughs> yeah. <Not the> money. <laughs> and it wasn't money. It was the promise that the cats would be horny. See, uh, there you go. Well, Apparently, like that was Lloyd. That was Lloyd Webber's sole pitch. He said basically. He asked Elliot if she'd ever heard of Hot Gossip, which was a popular television show featuring sexy dancers in risque outfits. She said yes, her husband would have loved it. Um, <laughs> Lloyd Webber wrote in his memoir, stage one of the wooing of Valerie, as we came to call it, was complete. <laughs> when I thought I couldn't love Elliot anymore. The Tories are just a different <laughs> Just this sinister old... Wow. Wow, well, wow, well, dear. Going to seduce this confused old woman. A widow woman. A widow just woman. Yeah, just out of her husband's just creeping into an estate. With images of hot gossip in his mind. <laughs> and I'm imagining like, him dressed like Mr. Mistopheles. Oh. Uh, no, no, Mr. Mistopheles was in the show, in the original show, The Gay Cat. That was apparently what what his role was, Mr. Mistopheles was. Uh-huh. Apparently, and though apparently they, they uh, J-popped him up a notch, or K-popped him up a notch for this, for the film adaptation. But it's worth noting um, in these terms that, like, we're, okay, we are going to talk about the uncomfortable horniness of cats, um, which sounds like a T.S. Eliot poem of What's itself. Un- <laughs> <laughs> but, um... It's been uncomfortable for them. Like the all of the the, the the cats in this, um did I is it is it the thing that you wanna see cats get horny but but actually seeing them um uh, uh, wow, wow, is 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 not a thing that anybody wants to see. <laughs> or is it like, a thing where it's like humans who want to have sex with cats and humans who find cats sexy? Is this what cats is really about? See, I, I think what it is <laughs> Go on then, Dr. Luke. What's the Cause, diagnosis? Because 
from what I from what I understand from the original production, like Andrew Lloyd Webber ended up dating one of the cast members and married one of the cast members. One of the producers um, also did that. Yeah, and Napier did the stage yeah, designer as yeah. well. And like, was it the is, sexiest cast <laughs> during, during during production? Lloyd Webber would invite the cast up to his mansion where he had a thirty person hot tub where apparently they would. <laughs> All spend lots of lots See, of time. This, this, this and is the thing: is that musicals in general, are like from the kind of New York scene, and theater kids as a whole are horny. And right. In in a so in they're all kind fit, of, they're all young, they're all prancing about. This, the I mean, this is like the, the Olympic ho- Village. Oh, like this is, exactly. So Andrew Lloyd's Andrew Lloyd Webber's vision, such that it is, was well, a big origin. That of if you if you take a musical and just cut out all the faff. And get leave, right down to it and, yeah and only leave in the the kind of flitting sexual energy and and kind of uh, bombastic song production then you have the essence of, of of a broadway hit and he was right and he also got the right out of it. and so and the basis for this was children's poems yeah and it's it's worth noting by the way like the horniness is again it's been not not exclusive to the film in 1997, a New Yorker named Evelyn Amato sued the New York production of Cats because apparently Rum Tum Tugger grinded on her in the audience. <laughs> I know, we, we shouldn't laugh. I hate to suggest that the clue's in the name. We shouldn't laugh, but apparently he allegedly said boom, boom, boom while grinding inches from her face. So yes, this is not... Apparently, though, this is... Ever, if you're watching, I don't know... I saw it on a holiday camp like Luke did. Of course did. he did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But like, again, Jen seeing this in, in the in an actual theatre, Cats has always thrived on audience participation. The cats come out into the audience, they crawl out from under the audience, they apparently sit on the laps of audience members. In fact, like there are interviews and we'll post a couple up there with actors from the show when they pick people out of the audience beforehand and they'd be like, yes, I want to grind on C4F, for example. Yeah. Um, like, and hashtag cats too. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> wow. But, but, and see, this is the thing. Uh, Tom Hooper has always been a hack fraud. But if you wanted to give him... Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> if you, he's a hack fraud. That's how I feel. Uh, but, but if you wanted to give him a bit of credit, you could say that he looked at Katz and said, how do you recreate the sensation of the audience feeling violated right. on Oof. cinema where we can't ah. actually reach out and touch them? In that case, if, if we make a movie as ugly <laughs> and and exhausting as possible, then we can we can recreate that experience in the theater. So in in some ways, he's a visionary, just not in any way that uh, kind of as ugly his and as exhausting as possible. What kind of sex is Tom Hooper having? Well, okay, that, 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 uh, sexless. I mean that that that's one of my big issues with the film is that it's it for something so obsessively sexual it is actually quite sexless. Well, at one point because I, it's directed by it's like, it's like I don't know. Whole... At one point I did think that I was going to see Judy Dench have an orgasm, and I was like, I don't know if I can take this. So I mean, there is moments there where I like there is that moment where they're all you know dancing before like. At the Jellicle Ball, where it is like Suspiria, oh. well, it's, it's which been, is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's been described as like one of the best descriptions of cats that I've read. I think came from the New Yorker magazine, where they described it as like having dinner with a, several polyamorous couples, worried that it's going to turn into an orgy at any moment without any warning. Like, I mean, without being you know too you know sensationalist about it. Like watching it, and it was the first time I watched it, I was like, what the hell is happening? The second time I thought I'd be prepared, but I was not. The moment where 
character named Rum Tum Tugger. Jason Derulo. Played by Jason Derulo, who is 125% sure that they shrunk the size of his penis. They had uh, to, he said. They yeah. had to. Because um, It took 12 people to do it. <laughs> <laughs> One for every foot. Um, but they also... Um, because apparently that was in the trailer as well. You could determine the shape and they had to reduce it. Instagram very famously banned a picture of him in underwear because apparently he was so impressive in that regard. But there's a moment during he his... He was impressive in this though. Oh yeah. He... I was the but best does thing anyone he's think... ever done. Yeah. He was so committed to it. It but... was insane. <laughs> it's, it's the moment where he takes them all to the milk bar oh. and he oh, pours not... the oh. milk into, very, into their mouths while they're waiting. That literally. entire scene felt like a setup from a porno. I There... Yeah, I was afraid it was going to go a certain direction. Him with the milk tap yeah. and all. I was like, please don't, please don't, please don't. And it went so far, but I just oh, I, I felt, I felt properly violated. Also, the fact that if he had no peen, let's say right, peen reduced or whatever, Taylor Swift. Her boobs yes. are very prominent, but also there is shadows of nips on Taylor Swift. If you look, I kept on saying to my friend when I was in the cinema, turn around, going. I can see her nipples. Why can I see Taylor Swift's nipples? Very strange. So she had more, the most prominent shape, I think, of everyone in It's been argued, actually, that they were enhanced. Yeah. Oh, definitely, because, I mean, not to say, but I have seen her close-up, close personal friend of T-Swift, as I am. And the woman is like a, you know, an animatronic sex doll. She is beautiful, but she is not well endowed in that region. And this cat... For some reason, has giant mammaries <laughs> and with uh, you know Mammary. shadowy nipples. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and like that—that's the weird thing about it. And because you have that Jason Derulo pouring milk into the mouths of eager kitty sequence early oh. on, um, like what happens is every time that milk reappears throughout the film, it is uncomfortably sexualized mm. as a result. So when Ian McKellen backstage, out of that bowl. and like this is the thing, like I think Ian McKellen actually gives the best performance in the film. He Agreed. seems to be the only actor who's actually thought about. I, well, I, I like the a bit where he just literally says meow, 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 <laughs> just like that. Yeah. But like I when he think... leans in to lick the milk up, you're like, why, Tom? Why? We love to... doing those weeks at cat school. You can <laughs> just tell. It's the, mo- it's the movie at its most self-aware as well, because he's he like Ian McKellen is, is 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 kind of like I don't know about these productions these days. Is <laughs> uh, these uh, actors who have no real training in the in the theater and just. Spectacle, yeah. yes, and it's just spectacle and CGI. Yeah. They're more concerned with the size of their peens than, yeah. Um, come here, Derulo, my boy. Um, yeah, he he plays he plays a very good kind of um, uh, horny old man of of, of theatre as well. There is a definite sense that 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 is going to be some grooming with him. With and Mr. Misopheles, what's yeah. your name? What's your name, boy? Yeah, um, yeah. very. Including Judy Dench as well, because she lifted her leg over. Oh yeah, for that, his performance. I I I choked that but, moment. I, like I, mean, I was just glad it wasn't in three D at that moment. <laughs> That's the thing. Like again, and Tom Hooper, you know, maybe not the best director in terms of framing and composition, but there are moments throughout when they're talking about Old Deuteronomy and how Old Deuteronomy has lots of litter and stuff like that, and they cut to Rumple Teaser and the other cat, and it's like Mungo Jerry, Mungo Jerry, Mungo and they're like is um for some reason rumple teaser is a more memorable name but anyway they're like um they kind of cut to is those she's irish by the way yes uh Nee morgan i think her name is yeah um she played the role on 
want to say Broadway, but not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they cut to those two when they're talking about like Deuteronomy having lots of spawn. And then there's the moment when Ian McKellen's singing. She kind of cocks her leg. Are we meant to infer? And again, maybe I'm giving too much credit to Tom Hooper's storytelling that Teaser and Mungo Jerry are the product of Ian McKellen cat and old Deuteronomy cat. Um, their union... Well, that's interesting because this is actually the first time either on stage or in the poems or anywhere else that uh, Deuteronomy has been played as female. Yes, Judy Dench described the character as trans, um, which is, yes, maybe not the... Uh, no, not, that was Judy Dench. That was very much... That was definitely Judy Dench. Um, what's interesting, and again, the, the Deuteronomy thing is that, uh, first of all, the part was played on Broadway, uh, sorry, on, um, West, on the West End by Brian Blessed. It's a fun yeah. fact. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, old Deuteronomy. Yeah. Fantastic. She looked like she was wearing Brian Blessed though. That colour just looked like Brian Blessed. Like, Wait the set was... of the Ladbrokes ad. Yeah. What was um, originally going to be in the, in the original, uh, the very original production of Cats. She was going to play Grisabella because she couldn't dance and yeah. Grisabella was the only role that didn't but dance. Basically she launched herself off the stage because yeah. she didn't want to be in it. She, she <laughs> broke her ankle. Yeah. And everyone said, said that it was on purpose. Yeah, she said, hey, who kicked me? And it turned out she'd snapped her tendon. Um, but the, the gossip mill around stage was Judy got herself out at the last possible minute. Well, hey, who kicked me is a very conspicuous way of drawing attention to the fact that your ankle's broken. You know, as opposed to, ow. <laughs> Which what I mean, this, is, this is not my fault. Say, <laughs> this ankle, ooh, I think it's broken. I'm going to have to go. Did one of you kick me? It's, it's worth noting that... the. Isabella was then played by um, Elaine, Elaine Page, who I believe at the same time, because Cats is the horniest musical on Broadway, having an extramarital affair with Tim Rice, who was brought in to write the lyrics for memory. Um, but apparently, and again, this is the thing where the stage production of Cats started out as a disaster. It was yep. apparently like a spectacular misfire. Um, they were worried that like the whole thing was going to come crumbling down around them. Yeah, then, like Trevor Nunn, the original director, he actually rejected Tim Rice's lyrics for the song. He found them too miserable. Well, that's it. Here's a, here's a sample of Tim Rice's original lyrics for memory. Daylight, I won't care if it finds me With no breath in my body With no beat in my heart that's, that's actually not that bad. That was Cats. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It wasn't supposed to be good then. Um, but yes, Why wouldn't you win this? But apparently, yes, apparently, like, um, Rice was told, that's a bit downbeat. That's not what we're going for. Dead cats in the street. This, though, is probably a nice segue to talk about Grizabella the Glamour Cat. Jennifer Hudson, um, like, acting. Yeah, she And she and, never blows her nose. No, <laughs> yes. yeah, Scarlett so Johansson not. had this thing where, like, uh, she had like the single tear running uh, uh, down her cheek. Jennifer Hudson has like tear, tears coming from both nostrils. Method. She yeah. went full Well, you method. know when they always say like because Viola Davis, you know, her performance Oscar winning because like Definitely. you do the single tear. Yeah. You win an Oscar. So yeah. maybe she's right. trying to go for the single snot. Let's say uh, Oscar winner Jennifer Hudson going for it. I like, did yeah. get that feeling that she was definitely figured this has more awards potential and I need something to well, just kind of get my movie I, career back it, she, on track. It's, it's, it's a performance. It's like she, she gives it socks in the final rendition of Memory but for the early ones it's arguably more it's acting. Terrible. No, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a terrible performance. No, no, I know. Well, she, um, I know. And I'll, I'll put a lot of blame on Hooper for that. But, she, but she, you can tell that she's like, look, 
Um, last she, time Hooper directed a musical, supporting actress won an Oscar, and Hathaway won an Oscar, particularly for that long take of her with her hair kind of like just staring up and being really emotional and maybe not necessarily being technically, I mean, Hathaway's a fantastic singer, but like the moment that sells it is the performance as much as the lyrical delivery. I can imagine Hudson and Hooper being like, well, look, Grizabella the Glamour Cat is going to storm into the supporting actress race this can you year. Imagine, yeah, and just take home the prize. After seeing the film, no. But they did not. like a thirty takes of it, apparently. What? And, yeah, and Hooper because he wants them all to sing live, um, and he kept on stopping her halfway through, and she was like, "Look, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to More sing, snot. or do you want me to cry?" So it's one or the other. So I think that's why the snot became so integral to it because she was like, I can either sing this perfectly or I can ball crying. So that was the symbol of she's actually upset is the snot. And see, this is the thing. Because Hooper is a complete sham, he doesn't actually understand in, say, Les Mis what made that performance work because he he wasn't sufficiently involved in bringing it out. So he looks at someone like Jennifer Hudson, who is a talented performer in certain ways, and, and says start at the very top and stay there yeah. for 30 takes in a row and stay there for every scene that you're in oh, which is terrible stupid. direction there are presumably takes then where she sings it well like the final rendition of it was actually pretty good well yeah, that's because agreed. it's the traditional Broadway rendition yeah. where it's, she's actually singing as opposed to performing it's, in inverted commas it's full blown performance yeah. it's, it is the kind of the emotional climax of the whole thing yeah. Which has emotion well, sorely right, lacking up to that point. It's at that level the whole time. You don't get that emotional punch. You're just you don't like, get the arc, oh, yeah. this again. Yeah. Well, you don't feel an arc with that there character. Is, You're just miserable all yeah. the way through. Yeah. And um, there's supposed to be, from what I can parse, like the, it's it's sad the character, but there's supposed to be kind of a resigned, dignified sad, sadness to it. Uh, there's you know? no, that never came. But through. but yeah, it doesn't come through here at all because it's just this kind of pathetic yeah. oh, um, thing rejected because she uh, kind of cuddled up to McCavity and that's she's got it. the mange basically uh, okay well, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's unpack this it's going to take a, it, a little moment to get around like it I felt, I felt like it was, it was Im- I thought it was implying that like he had broken her whole oh, wow Oh, wow, wow, is that terrible excuse me she was kind of like walking around oh, sort of like uh, no, was that's because that she has the mange. That's oh, it's sure just the mange. Oh, well. okay, okay. Because he has uh, scratchy eyes. Oh, well, he well. just looks like Pancho from. Before we talk about this very quickly, uh, one of the, and I quote, innovations of Tom Hooper's adaptation of Cats was his desire to impose a story uh, on the narrative. Because obviously, as we discussed in the. In the stage play, it's primarily just a set of, of set pieces. The cats come on, they introduce sing, and then themselves. they introduce themselves, then feck off, and then are picked at the end, and one of them gets to go up. That sort of thing. And you have, like, on the stage play, you'll have actors who will alternate through various roles. Um, and, you know, there's not really that much of a story in there. Whereas the film tries to install several concurrent narratives over the course of its arc. It decides that Francesca Hayward, who is a ballerina, she's she's not a dancer, she's not really a... Good, right? she's, she does very well with the material she's given. Agreed. But in the character of Victoria the Cat, right? In the stage play, Victoria is just a dancing cat. She doesn't even get her own musical number. Um, her primary narrative function is that she's the first one to touch Grizabella when she's elevated at the end. That's her sole function. But Hooper decides, no, 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 no. What we're going to do is we're going to build a story around her. She's going to be our audience identification surrogate, and we're going to follow her. And that's not enough. 
he decides that, well, actually, this movie needs a villain. If you've watched the stage play, McCavity only appears once very, very briefly in it. He appears impersonating old Deuteronomy um, at a late stage of the play and then is banished quickly off stage. Arguably, uh, it has been suggested among cat scholars, uh, because apparently they exist, um, the obvious comparison uh, with uh, McCavity is Moriarty, the Napoleon of crime. But reading T.S. Eliot's... Did they make that obvious here? (laughs) (laughs) Did they make it obvious? Um, Well, they do. They have Moriarty appear in giant letters and then flash McCavity over it. By the way, I love the sequence where he abducts McKellen and yells, McCavity! (laughs) (laughs) While disappearing, in case you don't get... It was loud. It was amazing. It just came out of nowhere. <laughs> we had we had no choice but to explode in it laughter. Was, it was his rum tum tugger boom 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 moment. Um, but yes, <laughs> but it in the stage play, McCavity barely appears. He's uh, introduced by two cats, Bomarella, who appears here played by Taylor Smith, and Demeter, who was apparently Swift? Taylor Smith. Taylor Swift, sorry, and Demeter, who was written out of the film. Because apparently they wanted Taylor Swift to have the whole number to herself. Because um, Tay-Tay doesn't like to share. But, um, McCavity... She shouldn't have to. To be clear. <laughs> <laughs> like, just accept that she's perfect and that she should be given her own number. Um, well, yeah. she, she famously wrote the, she song, wrote the song. She wrote the song Beautiful it. Dreams. Yeah, uh, Beautiful Ghosts. Beautiful Ghosts. Right. Which and is... she owns two cats that are really famous. Yeah. They're as famous as her. So wow. that's why she wanted to be in cats. She, well, she, she actually auditioned for uh, Les Mis, first of all. Um, but Hooper was like, there's no way that anybody would believe her as a starving peasant in like old France. But he was but like... But Amanda Seyfried, yeah, sure. Um, but I, li- I, like her, I like the cut of her jib. We're doing cats, she's doing cats. Um, notably, and again, this is the thing where the film was apparently so rushed. They, after the first trailer was released during the summer... Apparently, Hooper had to draft in a second special effects house to work on it concurrently. Two special effects houses working on the film concurrently to fix it and bring it up to date. It still looks like this. Oh, it's still, well, what happened is they got, they got they got all of now. To be fair, before we drag this, um, VFX industry in Hollywood is incredibly um, difficult. It is not unionized. In fact, there have been standard efforts to break attempts to unionize within that. Um, they are paid far, far, far below. what should be the market rate for their skills it's very similar to video games in that respect deadlines are set and you work around the clock to reach those deadlines no matter how unreasonable they are Uh, talking to people who work inside the vfx industry one of the big issues with vfx in hollywood films is directors who don't understand the technology and yes luke tom hooper is very much one of those Mm -hmm. um but not knowing what they want but not, not only not knowing what they want when they're filming not knowing what they need to provide the special effects houses with so that they can work with it famously when the motion capture performances were ported in. And again, this is from anonymous posters on Reddit who claim to have worked in the VFX houses, so take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, I'm not saying it sounds unreasonable. What was suggested was that when those that footage was provided to the VFX houses, the motion capture footage, there were not enough points of references on them. They were not properly lit. They were not properly set up in order to work. And there was no frame of reference provided for size. And you'll notice when you're watching the film that the cats change sizes. They not do. Enough, size not randomly. Not, not even between cuts, within the same shot. Like during the Jellicle Ball, one of the things that for me was most uncanny is the fact that there are cats in the distance, but they look to have been shot in the same, like, in the same focus as the cats up close and they look like when you get your computer and you just kind of resize and say that's good enough um apparently the animators had to rotoscope over the performances almost frame by frame oh um, looks they, like 
Yeah, they did. They did what amounts to um, 18 months of work in the space of six months. So the VFX houses, not to blame here. I, I'm not put, I would not they put this on them to be absolutely clear. In fairness to them. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, Again, that, that old... Well, uh, that, that explains the lesson of this movie. But that explains why... eight hours sleep every yeah. night. <laughs> Can't argue with the cat, Matt. Um, and, and Jen alluded to this earlier. The um, Cats was patched in cinemas. Um, mm. Four days after its release, Tom Hooper announced that... Uh, Sorry, Universal announced that with the assistance of Tom Hooper, they had done, first of all, a slight re-edit of the film um, in order to trim it slightly. Um, and they had also... <laughs> yeah. yeah, during, during after the... After releasing it. During, after. Yeah, after releasing it, four days afterwards. Um, and not only that, they digitally remastered it as well. Now, I saw it with Andrew and I saw it with Phil. We saw the unremastered cut. We won't tell oh. you where we saw it. We did, the unremastered. You and I? Yeah. I thought it was and, remastered. No, you know how you know, how you know it's unremastered? Because Judy Dench has her wedding ring on her human yeah. hand in the final sequence. And so blatantly, too. Yeah, um, but uh, that was patched and then sent out again. Now, to be fair, this isn't the first time this has happened. We talked about it on The Exorcist 2, yeah. um, where John so Borman... is fine once they fix that. Thank uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Of course, it was issue. just the hands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, apparently trimming as well and sort of like cuts and, and aspect ratio and tightening the plot and stuff like that as well. Apparently, it's a slightly it's like different film. When you see above a pub, like under new management, you know, something terrible <laughs> must have happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but it's, it's telling you, it's okay, come back. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's also worth noting in, in that sense as well that this isn't the first time that this has happened you know there's been previous cases of this happening before with movies in cinema that have been fixed famously show dogs the will arnett and Ludacris movie was recut while it was in cinemas after it was revealed that uh, this the movie featured a sequence that taught people how to groom children um oh yeah yeah which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah you heard me um how to groom children and um, I'm guessing not with a brush and a comb. No, not with a brush or comb. Oh dear. Um, and even like Disney has retracted films from cinemas before, but only in specialty cinemas. So a film that was, I think it was like The Wind in the Woods, um, only was showing in one cinema in like 1977. And they pulled it out after 10 days and then re-released it a year later with more difficulty after director. What's interesting about this is this actually caused a minor bit of fuss with the uh, with Ampus, the, <laughs> the, the Academy Awards. Because the Academy Awards specify that when they are judging a film, they must judge it based on its original theatrical release format. So they won't consider later re-releases. So for example, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which got an extended cut, will be screened for Academy members using its original theatrical cut. Because this had been remastered while it was in cinemas, there was a debate in the Academy about whether that counted as modifying it after release or the fact that it was modified during release meant that the Why new one should be eligible. Are they anticipating it's going to get nominated? No. no. <laughs> yeah, um, well, did they have a lot of better things to do? Um, Universal famously pulled and scrubbed all for your consideration advertising, <laughs> websites, <laughs> screeners. It was taken down from the Universal Screener Center online almost immediately as soon as the reviews landed. Mm-hmm. Um, the film was screened prematurely for the Golden Globes, who have a history of nominating musicals very heavily because they obviously have the comedy or musical category. And they've been very fond of, of films in the past, like, for example, Les Miserables, but also things like Chicago. And kind of like they've been very fond of kind of like good old fashioned Hollywood stuff. The, the Foreign Press Association love stars and so what you can generally do is if you give them exclusive access they'll give your movie lots of awards think of um the film all the money in the world which was recut with christopher Plummer, down to the last minute that was screened as a work print work print for the hollywood foreign press association and they were the only um awards body that got to see it and they responded by giving it more nominations than any other film that year that's how easy it is to buy the golden globes 
The Golden Globes gave a single nomination to Cats for Beautiful Dream by Taylor Swift. Beautiful Ghosts. Beautiful Ghosts, sorry. Beautiful Ghosts. Uh, sorry, is, I, I don't know why we're sticklers in this particular I know. Time. No, no, no it's, it's, it's fair. Give her you. But also, anyway, in terms of, in terms of plot. Taylor Smith. Taylor, Taylor, Taylor Smith. Smith. Good old Taylor Smith. <laughs> but in terms, of, uh, in terms of plot, right? So it uh, introduced the character of Victoria. No, no, but it makes McCavity a villain. And it's been suggested that, like, the central point of the song and the poem McCavity written by T.S. Eliot is that it is entirely possible for the person reading the poem or writing the poem to have been having a nervous breakdown. That McCavity doesn't actually exist. That he's just a figment of imagination. Does that explain why he's the only cat besides Mr. Mistopheles, the magician cat, who can magically appear and disappear anywhere he likes? So cats is a beautiful mouse. <laughs> is what we're saying basically <laughs> McCavity's just a figment of old Deuteronomy's <laughs> imagination McCavity's um, a mystery cat he's called the hidden paw that's the first yeah, line of the poem yeah it, it's, he's very much he's a character who doesn't exist but he's given a villain and he's plot. all over the place he's here. all over the place here he's introduced with that kind of Idris Elba thing where he's sort of sitting up there with the hat on looking broody and, and he has magic powers where he can make people disappear and you have them interrupt musical numbers so they introduce um, was it Bustopher Jones <laughs> the James oh, oh, we're, we're going to talk oh. about that in a moment but he interrupts that in order to snap away Rebel Wilson for example and he interrupts the end of Bustopher Jones to kidnap Bustopher Jones Do they ever get to the point where people don't want to have sex with Idris Elba? I think this <laughs> is it. <laughs> really? I don't know. He I mean, was I... so upsetting to look at. <laughs> Again though I was telling He has you... a six pack It's It impressive. was very sinewy He looks very raw I was raw. telling people about this movie and they're like ooh I don't want to see Judy Dench being sexed up or Jason Rulo but one person used to be Idris Elba though and Taylor Swift rubbing his abs yeah it, it made sense I mean I'm sure that's somebody's fetish right I mean, oh, rubbing Taylor... Idris Elba's abs would be a lot of people's fetish yeah like a lot of this movie yeah. <laughs> there's something for everyone fun for all the family it was a very upsettingly sexy movie um, it felt gross but it, but it, it's, it's it, gross yeah it, it keeps uh, Idris Elba's stubble in you know when it, 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 it shows <laughs> his face they know what sells but puts those kind of overly green cat eyes in there and the big scar and his weird smooth body so it's it is this kind of with a real sheen <laughs> yeah this yeah. Cronenbergian like that is that is the epitome of the problem with it like when you see Idris Elba first in his fur coat which I'll come back to in a second like he looks recognisably like him and the makeup it's kind of cool with the scar and the uh, I don't know there's something very brooding and mysterious about him which you know some people might appreciate about that in Idris Elba cool guy whatever but as soon as he takes the coat off What's the it? body Don't... is so is a, a CG vomit inducing nightmare and, and like it's horrible is, 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 is that not partly based on Idris Elba's actual body no no no, no, no. I should, I've seen The Wire no it's not because like yeah if you're making him a villain and he's supposed to be this mysterious I don't mean the various, uh, character but he keeps popping up El- Elba is Sorry. good at doing kind of dark and brooding kind of stuff and he also has kind of a goofy kind of energy to him if yeah. you've ever seen him in a sky yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, and, and he those two things that Elba couldn't do and he goes yeah do the second one <laughs> that's 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 McCaffrey <laughs> is is selling your kids minions twenty four seven on Sky. That's the performance I want. Uh, to come back to that other point I was going to make, um, why are cats wearing fur coats? I have an answer to this. But why are they taking their clothes? Their skin and taking them off. off? That, yeah. Rebel Wilson. Why 
she unzipping her own To reveal skin. more clothes underneath and more fur. And some cats wear clothes and some of them wear shoes because they couldn't do the feet properly. Uh, they had to tap cats. Do you want to hear one of the rumours around Hollywood about why some of the cats wear shoes? And I, 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 I prom- something horny. I, does this come back to the unbearable sexiness of it? I promise this is going to make everybody at this table feel particularly uncomfortable. Great. Right. <laughs> I'm stealing <laughs> myself. Unlike cats. Okay. I, didn't, I, didn't notice okay. that, I didn't notice that some of the cats wear runners as well, yeah. which yeah. is very the distracting. There's two breakdancing cats yeah. wear But runners. even at the start as well. Yeah. Yeah. How um, much of this was actual dancing and how much of it was kind of computer generated. Was it just the kind of catty, uh, weird faces <laughs> that were, or was some of the dancing also like digitally created? Well, the problem with some of the dancing digitally is that like the use of stuff like slow motion and CGI makes it, it's like magic. It's like when you see magic in a film and it's done in camera, it's impressive because that means there's sleight of hand involved. But when you cut around it or use special effects like in Now You See Me, it's less impressive because you just did that with a green screen. A lot of the dancing here feels a little bit like that where you're watching it and you're like, this would be really impressive if I knew you weren't cutting around it using speed ramping or like animating over the actor's body in order to disguise what they're actually doing but like like this thing is choreographed by the same choreographer who did hamilton and you can't appreciate it because tom hooper cannot hold on a long shot to save his life you don't appreciate any of the major dance sequences it's terrible and it's also terrible because all of the kind of skill in the dance is lost because the bodies are covered in digital fur and the space that they're moving through is so fundamentally and obviously not real yeah. Like, you, yeah, you, you, you could green screen a little bit of this, maybe, and and yeah. and have the, skip the quality of that dance come through. But the uh, the the environments that they're in are so basic looking and yeah. so terrible looking that your brain just won't accept it. But that's not a surprise. These they can't even get these characters are dancing in this place. But they're not even they're just distance not. in scale. No. We don't know what size these cats are meant to be from one shot to the next. Like Francesca Howard does an entire sequence on point, which is incredible. You don't but know. you don't know. Yeah, don't. Like for all you know, they just like angled her feet to make it look like she was on point. But to bring it back to why some of the cats wear shoes and making everybody feel very uncomfortable, I can't wait um, to hear this. It has been speculated that the reason why some of the cats wear shoes has been to keep Taylor Swift's feet off fetish sites. because no. she wears high heels. Yes, that makes sense. It makes far too much sense. Yeah. Oh. She's just going to be on other sites because she's a cat with big cat boobs. Um, <laughs> which are nothing, yes. which incidentally are nothing like cat okay. boobs. Thanks, or girl. like Taylor Swift's <laughs> boobs either. Yeah. So. In the uncanny boob valley, so to speak. So in trying uh, to solve one problem, like they made 10 more. Trying to keep, keep her off. Uh, shoe fetish porn sites apart from deep fake shoe fetish porn sites. <laughs> so, she's she's yeah. going to get there anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, but to, to, to bring it back to the kind of the, the storyline. Like presumably she does wear shoes. Or is, she wears like heels like, in it. Of course she does. Yeah. But is, is this like a shoeless foot fetish? Yeah. Foot, uh, like like a Tarantino Bare foot. Right, right, yeah. right. What's bizarre about that as well is that you're then going up to other dancers that are showing up on days where Taylor Swift is not on set. <laughs> and they're all decked out in their full green bodysuit, you know, with all the balls attached to them. And, and someone kind of rushes over and says, quick, put on these tatty-looking runners. Yeah. Oh, why? Well, because we don't want people to put Taylor Swift's feet on fetish sites. Or they so like, you what if I want my feet on fetish sites? It makes her seem weird. <laughs> and that's quite something when you're making cats. Yeah, yeah. We're we're we're. It's like I want um I want to prevent this weird thing happening. And it's like, how did you even think of that? 
I suppose maybe that's just her reaction. I imagine, yeah, yeah, I imagine being a celebrity, you have to think about things like that, um, yeah. which is, is a bit unfortunate. But um, back to the, kind of the, the discussion of fur coats, because you oh, mentioned fur coats. Are you wearing shoes? I'm not. Uh, I, I am. I am. Oh, okay. um, it's free content for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can just imagine. I socked feet. Um, yeah. but to, to, Ooh, they, they nasty. Like, th- th- thanks, Phil. Um, but yeah, so Phil and Jen were asking about the fur coats and the taking off of coats and stuff like that. And my theory is, and, and it's part of what makes it so unsettling, <laughs> is the fact that, like, the reason that the cats wear clothes is also related to the fact that the cats keep taking off clothes. Because, think about it, right? If cats are naked all the time that's not a big deal because cats are always naked all the time your your brain is used to that you're like well they're just being cats it's like a disney movie or it's like feckin avatar or something like that it's like it's not unusual it's just you know i've accepted the world of the movie however if you start putting cats in clothes like giant fur coats that idris elba wears or the fur coat that uh, old deuteronomy wears or even mr mistopheles hat that he keeps taking off that means it becomes Unusual. It becomes sexual, the taking off of the clothes. Yeah, but Rebel Wilson oh. takes her skin off. That That's makes weird. no sense. That is she that... unzips her skin. There's nothing sexy about that. Is just a, a vest. Like a vest and that a is legit shorts. just strange. And they should have pasties on. Like, <laughs> all like, of them. All of them should have pasties yes. on. Like. Especially uh, eight McCallum. pasties. Is it eight pasties? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like. <laughs> um, no, there would be nine, wouldn't there? Okay. <laughs> how, how, how many? How many? Oh God! Stop it! Let's not focus on that. Um, all right, then. and then like, and then to kind of bring it back because we're still on the subject of the weird horniness of cats. Um, the interesting developments that arise from certain decisions Tom Hooper makes in adaptation, which are to make Old Deuteronomy a woman, right? Um, in the stage play, it has been inferred. It's calling it a stage play makes it sound so <laughs> so much more you know, like, classy. <laughs> like you know, Trevor Nunn, the first Just because director. Because the guy who 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 wrote it wears a top hat. So. Oh, something <laughs> that, like the first director, Trevor Nunn. He was actually the artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company at yeah. the time. They brought him on, and a lot of people said that's far too high brow. Wow. But the the thing with the, the thing Gris- aimed high. The thing with Grisabella, the glamour cat in the stage play and in the poems, is that she is discarded because society doesn't have a place for old women. Is how it's been read. It's been read of just the way that which society kind of casts off old women and the way in which we sort of disregard them and the way that we kind of diminish them. Um, and there's a commentary on that. Um, and it's meant to be no parts for yeah yeah that sort of thing that's meant and it's meant to be kind of sad in that sense and a commentary on that are allowed to grow yes and women just disappear that sort of aspect however making it's been suggested that making old deuteronomy female right means that it can't be that because you have another older cat who is popular and well loved and basically the kingpin of the neighborhood so how does the film come up with the idea of saying grizabella has been exiled from the community it basically sluts. Yeah, it slut shames her. Um, and weirdly as well, I didn't read this, but I've read articles from people who are like, "So, what exactly was her relationship to McCavity?" Because yeah, that's they ta- very vague. Because they they talk like you would think maybe she went off with him and then was a fallen woman in a commas, which is bad enough to be absolutely clear. You know that it's bad either way. But it's also been it's suggested bad that it's bad. Or- <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's been suggested that the the film's emphasis on the line of her haunting places of ill repute. Yeah. 
mm. at the behest of McCavity suggests that perhaps McCavity has been is pimping her. Yeah, he's McCavity's ordered to pimp between cats. the hat and the fur <laughs> coat. He's but also, it's 100%. just the fact, as I said, is all the cats are horny. Like the thing about it is, Francesca Hayward did it. She has sex face all the time. No matter who she is looking at, she could be looking at Judy Dench, E. McKellen, anybody, and she is doing sex face, and it's quite porny. Like she's, I think she's bad, and I know you're all saying I think she's good. I think she's bad. Um, and like so all of the cats are horny so why is, is she not what she's meant out? to be doing though I think like, she just wants to have sex everyone I'm yeah, eager exactly. to please I'm like, doing yeah. down I'm <laughs> <laughs> here to fix the radiator <laughs> it's ridiculous it's notable that they drift away from Rob Tom Tugger after it's been suggested he's been spayed to be fair <laughs> there, there's this there's this scene at the end when when uh, Ju- Judy Dentronomy is, is, is <laughs> hey. she's like barreling the camera and there's actors kind of like just on her shoulder and none of them know what to do except for Hayward who is just like giving her the same eyes that she did like the, the she knows face the eyes. sex yeah, but face that's eyes. why I don't understand there are people just why, looking awkward but why Jennifer Hudson's character then is banished yeah. from being a horny cat and they're all horny they're all horny right. on the main see this is if we if we if we <laughs> unpack it a little bit um, Vic- Victoria yeah. Is she the virgin yeah. sex cat? Um, well, if she's pure white. There the, you go. Part of the problem in and the film's very obsessed with Queen Victoria. It's worth noting as well. It keeps coming back to old Victoria's day. Deuteronomy's been around since old Victoria's a, a, day. A, a golden age of sexual diseases. <laughs> <laughs> but part of the problem in adapting this into a film is that not only is it plotless, but all the songs are sung to you, the audience, and kind of at the start of the play. The, the whole thing of kind of introducing that these are cats and the cats have names and they're just going to sing their names at you is that they target one unsuspecting member of the audience and say, you don't know what a jellical cat is? You know, that whole thing. So her role in the, her function in the film is to have every song sung at her instead mm. of having it sung directly at yeah. you until the very end. It's like Karen <laughs> says, the audience, uh, sorry. And yeah. it, it, her role for us as an audience is to kind of be a Rick prism yeah. And her looking at all these characters in awe, and it's every single song. It starts with her looking at them awestruck, and then joining in with the singing. Because aren't the songs so wonderful? So <laughs> we're supposed to be like, oh yeah, Cats is great. I'm going to sing along. Blah blah blah. Obviously, it doesn't work, but that's what it's for. And then, Darren, if what you're saying is true about the point of, of, of Grizabella, you know, is to kind of show old people being cast off, in, old women being cast off in society and all that, that's broken in this because by adding a story through Victoria, it fundamentally means that it has to pivot towards her. So uh, Grizabella's big moment of triumph at the end is actually Victoria's. And, yeah. and the big kind of release at the end is actually for Victoria, not Grisabella, because yeah. Judy Dench goes, you are a jellical cat. After all. And we, uh, uh, and you, the audience, are a cat's fan. <laughs> and then you throw and Jennifer Hudson in a bin and send her off. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> what are the it's, cats, it's cats basically midsummer is what I'm wondering. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a cult <laughs> ritual where they all come together, have a big party. There's lots of sexual energy. And then a human sacrifice at the end. It is basically Midsummer, but as a musical. And, and it, a more it, it, can it has... imagine that Cats is probably Alan Partridge's favorite musical <laughs> <laughs> because they're sex people. In they're definitely sex people. But it, 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 it has to give Victoria Grisabella's moment as well. Yes, like yes. in the big kind of uh, reprise of of memory, she 
because she's such a mess for Elkris Abella. She kind of collapses in tears uh, and, and Victoria has to coax the rest of the song out of her and then they do the reprise of Beautiful Ghosts. And Beautiful Ghosts is kind of bizarre to me because I know that every Hollywood adaptation of a musical has a new song has to have a new song. Uh, yeah. But by having it happen just after memory both times and having the word memory recur in its own lyrics <laughs> and by being sung by this character that is kind of upstaging Grisabella as nominally the star of the show. It... Taylor Swift is kind of I'm a let you finishing memory. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, she gets to do this. But, but memory didn't do that to her. It's just, and I have no beef with Taylor Swift, but there's this kind of narrative. Okay, in her career. Kanye, you sound like you do. There's, there's this kind of narrative to her career that she's never been able to let that moment go, or has been able to kind of keep finding she new traction. She's like shaking it off. <coughs> she can't ignore that people have like Taylor Swift foot fetish porn. <laughs> like most, most people, like she is beyond like, parody at this no, point. No, no, to be fair, like when you're dealing with your inner celebrity, I mean, there shouldn't that, be. When you're dealing with that level of fame and you're dealing with that level of scrutiny, I completely understand being that protective. Of oh your, yeah, but, right. like of she, your brand, your brand, and your identity. I'm not saying and, she's wrong about that. No, but, no, she just tends to be quite kind of sensitive about these things. Even, even like, I think of that. Uh, no, but, but uh, no, it, yeah. Well, sorry, that's fine. But even stuff like kind of. Emmy Poehler and Tina Fey kind of making fun of her at the Emmys. Like, that's what they're meant to do to, to the people in, in yeah, the Yeah, that's part of the roles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, like, the, um, yeah, that she hasn't kind of, like, she doesn't... And, and, and maybe she shouldn't have to kind of play along and say, oh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I really admire those, um, uh, those comedic talents. I, I think instead she said kind of um, the there's a place in hell yeah. for, for women who oh, don't women support and, yeah, other, other women, women. which right. just missing the point but um, I do think like that is just literally her pitch to get nominated for an Oscar for yeah. best song uh, because if Gaga could have one why can't Taylor Swift is basically what she's trying to do here the lyrics to it are interesting though because it's the song basically implies yes all these horrible things have happened to you but you can kind of ascend past all that and they will all be, you know, forgotten <laughs> and you will live on with these kind of beautiful memories and, and, and you will have all the power in the end. Well, yeah, but um. that's because she, the, the stuff that she's going through right at the moment with like, you know, the big machine that they owe, they own her music basically. Yeah. And mm. that's like with Scooter Braun and she's, I think that's definitely on her mind and that's probably why that's the way that song is and she's kind of trying to say to herself that Arch transcends all this mess and I will be remembered and Scooter Braun won't. Which is, which is not, which is a nice message and, and you know, all that stuff with the rights and all is really... Wow, 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 With what's happened with her. But when you put it right after memory, it kind of has well, this Well, I don't even think her, like, I mean, to be fair, because I mean, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan or by any means, but to be fair to her, I don't think the placement in the film was her decision. No, no. But that's no. what I mean is by putting it right there after memory, it kind of, it has this implication of saying to Chris Abel, like, get over it. <laughs> get off the stage. Get into your yeah, big Chris Abel. Can't you just ascend and be done with yeah. it? Is it, is it less legitimate of an EGOT if your Oscar is for best song? No. 
No. Same way that it's no no legitimate no less legitimate if you're at Grammys for like a stand up special released on on kind of. No. Okay. You, she would still be Academy Award nominee. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Well, she has to win to get an ego, <laughs> doesn't she? Yeah, you have yeah. to. You have to win the prizes. Um, I don't make the rules. That's Philip Michael's <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, so just in, in terms of kind of of cats and stuff like that, and, and Hooper's thing. What I find weird is, and this is the thing, and it's kind of related to to what Luke was saying there, where because it's a film adaptation of a musical, right? And because Hooper doesn't like long takes and because Hooper doesn't trust the performers singing the songs to carry the meaning, he keeps weirdly cutting back to other actors' cat faces in the middle of they big musical. They don't know what to do with their faces. No. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't know what to do with their faces either, to be clear. But like, you, you have like during the sequence where Ian McKellen's singing and it's this really sweet moment i would argue in a movie that is very messy otherwise but you keep cutting back to judy dench and it's like you're wondering what the directions are you're you're moved you're you're kind of horny but you're also moved you're, you're still you're kind of horny is always there you're listening to a song well, <laughs> basically what the direction was for everyone <laughs> uh, but it is a who's your man who 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 played the kind of gray uh, uh, sorry what 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 was the Robert name Fairchild I thought he looked like the dad from Outnumbered and at the start <laughs> Hugh Dennis when he started I was like is that literally that guy <laughs> so that disturbed me enough. yeah with with the the kind of gray cast yeah yeah, yeah. He was really really bad and the human hands well, well, as well. Well, well oh. I think it's the noses that is, is the really off-putting thing as well. Like, they don't have little cat noses. They have yeah. their human noses, so that's dumb. And yeah. it, cha- it changes the shape of their face. Yes. Because, um, I mean, obviously on stage they do, and listeners can't see, but I'm moving my fingers <laughs> around my face. But they, they draw on In a non-sexy way, can we just say, because we're talking about cats. <laughs> not everything is If you want to imagine that it's sexy, <laughs> I'm moving my... Take your not sexy um, fingers uh, away, finger, from my, finger. away from my not sexy face. Um, but yeah, so they, on the stage play, they draw on cat faces and stuff like that. Yeah. They draw and, on whiskers. And, and, Whereas here, they're still human faces. Yeah, and Jen's oh. right. It, like, that is a big part of what creates that kind of uncanny valley when you're looking at them because your brain is it, it's what makes them look like deep fakes yeah because your brain is trying mm. to process looks like a cat and looks like a human face at the same time mm. and can't settle on either yeah. like this isn't a problem with cg or that that aspect of things this is a problem going back to the art direction yes like, absolutely cooper has made this active decision no we're going to make them look like cats in the body we're going to add on fur add on ears robert zemeckis should make this well, that, this feels like the kind of thing that Robert Zemeckis might have made 20 years ago right. well, you know that it was originally meant to be a Steven Spielberg uh, yeah. film that's why it has the Amblin that's why it has the Amblin logo at the start because he bought the rights he wanted to make it as a cartoon as a two dimensional animated is cartoon which fine yeah. well, I agree with apparently it inspired Thundercats it has been see I knew it that's why Idris Elba looks like Pancho he's the image of it they're hot as well Thundercats oh yeah cheats her Spielberg is doing West Side Story this year allegedly yes. yes and it just it feels like some sort of horrible confluence in the universe that he's doing that and Hooper did this like Hooper isn't a good match for any film I think because he's terrible but he's it a would better make match. more sense to me if he was doing what's that story <laughs> at least he's not CGing things onto actors bodies that needn't be there like ears and fur <laughs> Hooper probably would with West Side Story oh, probably yeah, just right. like <laughs> He CGI Puerto Ricanness <laughs> yeah. onto white actors. Um, in terms of so, just in terms of going through the film, uh, in terms of the cats, and we kind of alluded to this earlier. 
James Corden can't oh. for Jones. Um, this is really why awful. is James Corden a thing? No, do you Somebody. know what? Do you know what? I I was I was in I was in London in about like 2011 at the time at the time when he was in One Man Two Governors and the National Theatre put on a live. Um, uh, performance kind of in um, what do you call it Southwark or um, where's that place where the BFI is oh South uh, Bank South Bank yeah and um, and he was really good and he can be good and kind of charming but I think the, like I, I feel like almost everyone has 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 had too much of him and he just needs to kind of slow down and stop being in things like, but it, but yeah. it, but everybody wants to put him in 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 things and actually it's it's funny as well because like I spo- I've spoken a few times about Elvis Mitchell and he does like a very good show mm. um the treatment where he, where he, where he talks to people he had an episode with um James Corden and kind of like spoke very seriously and it was all very like earnest and sincere and very much kind of like the um, actors and the performers sort of like journey and all this and I'm thinking what what, what is going Where on is what, James what, Gordon? Exactly. what do people think uh, well, did he play Paul Potts he did not yeah. the Decatur the, um... <laughs> could be both yeah. he was in that great Mike Lee film um, oh god now I can't remember what it's called uh, James Gordon was and pretty much playing a version of himself where he was just a really annoying teen All or nothing. Son. yeah ah, and he was really good. good in that but I just think this film especially and the role that he's playing in this the fact that he came out when he was presenting the late late show and said had this whole monologue about fat shaming and how crazy and disgraceful fat shaming is and right. he's running around singing a song about how fat he basically is and it is just crazy to me it's, it's not it's not even really that it's, it's, it's it's like it's that is arguably like true to the spirit of mm. the thing, but it's the fact that the ad libs are there, so it's that yeah. you know I'm sensitive about my weight, yeah. and it's like, dude, you've been singing about your weight for five minutes at this <laughs> yeah. point. Um, I'm guzzling stuff from a bin, <laughs> like. Yeah. But I mean, and it's even things like say Jenny Anydos, who's played by Rebel Wilson, who is not in in the stage play. There's or in the sorry in the stage musical, um, <laughs> there is not anything On about. Stage. Yes, um, there's. <laughs> Uh, like what do we call like Macbeth is the Scottish play do we call this the feline play um, but uh, on stage Jenny Any Dots is not a fat cat she's not she's not obese or large she's a cat like any other cat and she has a big set piece like any other cat but here you have the weird thing where the movie goes out of its way to go ha there's a real concentration on yeah, her, how her body weight, like yeah. and it's horrible and the, like she falls down in the yeah. way that like fat actors are expected to fall down it's like she's trying to pose and then she falls and like she's there as a joke she's there as a joke she she swings on the bars she swings the the chain and gets hit in the face which is another one of those things it's a weird kind of humor that you always feel had like uh, had disappeared where there's a lot yeah. of like people getting like hitting getting hit in, in the crotch like ray yeah. winston cat yeah. who we'll talk about i suspect oh in a moment ray oh. <laughs> yeah like all that stuff was really grotesque but there's another kind of thing that I, I hated about Corden and and um, and her performances is that, for better or worse, kind of Cat's success over these decades or whatever has come from not blinking in the yes. face of how ridiculous it is. Like it is completely committed and completely sincere in 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 how it's presented, and the two of them break the magic repeatedly constantly because they 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 do these kind of self-aware 
Where Will's uh, like, oh, I can, and... I can do that and dance like Rum Tum Tugger. Like, yeah, or the, uh, I'm thinking Betty in particular with, with, with Corden when he's oh, on Oh, Ray the, Winston, you can't rhyme things he, with... Yeah, when he talks about rhyming Thames. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just James Corden, the actor, talking casually to kind of do this self-aware mumbly kind of yeah. joke. Yeah. Or when he's supposed to be uh, on the balancing beam and, and yeah. tossed into the bin. And again, he stops the musical number to make jokes about his weight but again in this kind of self-aware yeah, like, yeah. yeah and they're, they're you're just... not in cats anymore no, and then, then he lands on his groin oh yeah, yeah. the ad level is atrocious so again it shows that the people making the film don't actually understand the appeal of what they're working with like because... it's a musical their ad libs actually interrupt the flow with the music yeah. they're yeah. the only moments where your characters really speak well, I mean, and, well, that, that's, and then again, similar thing happens with plot, where in the middle of Buster Jones, Idris Elba appears to whisk away Rebel Wilson, which is like, but that's taking me out of the flow of the song that you're performing, that I'm supposed to be listening to at this are, moment. Are other, uh, no, they're not. And other, other Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals aren't like this. They, they like, this, this, <laughs> I, I, no I, other, like, I, like no other musicals. I mean, I mean the thing of just kind of like being. It, is the musical itself just uh, people singing the whole way through? Because I, 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 like, is I like musicals where is it? Is it? Mm, pretty okay. much. Okay, yeah. but it, like I, I, I like stuff like singing in the rain or kind of White Christmas, where yeah. you have like a little actual bit of story and then it and kind scenes. of yeah, and it sort of ramps up or or they start kind of um, where where they burst into song rather than it just kind of you're in a in a in a world where everything. Well, is. I think that's the difference in. Uh, a movie musical and a stage musical because as a stage musical it's expected that the songs in con- in conjunction with the music and maybe the dance the production design all of that helps tell the story as much as any kind of narrative thrust like yeah. that's all part and there was a lot of narrative thrusting a lot <laughs> well narrative and otherwise but in this like this jars in that regard because again there is no real narrative. They've got this one narrative that they're trying to jam onto these Elliot poems, which works to a certain extent in the stage musical because that's more about the spectacle. But here, because Hooper can't shoot it right, and because its emphasis is so unearned by this one character, Victoria, who is bland as hell. Why the hell should we care about her anyway? It just does not gel. The problem never gels. There's no No. dramatic stakes in it at all. Like, as in... You know, Idris Elba just magics them away on this weird ship and then he, they just... Nothing happens. You're not like, oh no, there's not even like mild peril. Yeah. There's no peril. Well, they murder Ray Winston. Oh, exactly. Oh, yes. Sorry, yeah. Ray. <laughs> Christabella, you slay. But you know that the Ray Winston character doesn't exist in the stage play. He's actually... Growl Tiger. He's Growl Tiger. He's, so he's Ray a, Winston asked to be in Cats is basically <laughs> what you're saying. He was, he was a part of the uh, play from Gus the Theatre Cat where he goes through his previous roles and one of them was Growl Tiger. And so they actually took that verse away from Gus and invented a whole character on the barge and decided to cast Ray Winston. I think that the first time I saw it, I laughed because Winston isn't a big enough name that he appears above yeah. the marquee. I didn't know he was in it until oh, he yeah. appeared, and it was it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> it's, it's the worst CGI he's done since those Betfair ads. Uh, what about uh, <laughs> well, I'm here to kill your monster? <laughs> but but just on the the story and, and how it doesn't have any stakes or, or or work at all in the way that it's brought in. One of the big problems, and it's so baffling, is that. As you said, Darren, they've they've brought Victoria, they've enhanced her role in the story, and they've 
brought uh, McCavity in as a villain to function in the story. But those two segments of the film aren't connected at all. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's never a moment of confrontation between McCavity and Victoria, to pick an example there. Which yeah. there could have been, you yeah. know. Yeah. He could have tried to pimp her out as well. It could have been like, I'm like, going to make you like Grisabella one I of these feel, days. Yeah, it's a weird kind of a thing though where, where she's like, oh no, he pimps people. But she's kind of like not sure how she feels about Sadie yeah. or something. <laughs> like, like, going to, she can't gonna, stop being horny. If you're like, going to do that, if you're going to do that, like lean into it, make it part of the story. Look what happened to Grisabella. I can yeah, do the same it. to you. Yeah. Make him a threat. He, he appears very. He talks to her very briefly, and then she snuck away for the naming of cats, uh, which is well, which how convenient. Way, like by the way, Andrew turned to me at one point during the film and asked. How long is this movie? <laughs> do you want to guess? Do you want to guess when that was? How long the film had been running when Andrew turned to me and asked when this was over? This I is early enough. I remember. Ten minutes in. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a verse and a half into the naming of cats. <laughs> because if you do think when Jennifer Hudson is off in her chandelier, going up to the sky, that this is it now. Thanks. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That uh, was. And you've seen the big. My favourite oh, bit. My favourite bit in the whole thing is they're all there in like where is it Leicester Square? Trafalgar, Trafalgar, Square. Square. Trafalgar Square. And then you just see this giant Bovril sign. And I was like, that is the best thing in this whole film. The giant Bovril sign. I quite liked all the terrible wordplay on the signage like Catsino. Oh, yeah, oh. like, but then you think that's the natural end. We're all like, bye Jennifer. <laughs> and here comes another <laughs> bloody musical number. It was so cruel. It was terrified. It was, it was cruel. It was. Yeah. Just remember, a cat is not a dog. Oh yeah, that was really important. <laughs> that's right. And so that's why they had to repeat yeah. that, well, you know that a cat is, is not a dog. Well, famously, um, it's based on um, the Eliot's poems for Pollicle Dogs and Jellicle Cats. Mm-hmm. And apparently Lloyd Webber decided early in the adaptation process that dogs weren't horny enough. So he just removed all the pollicle dogs. He needs to go to a. He needs to go to a. Uh, he needs to go to a dog park. Um, but yeah, and by the way, pollicle dogs. So what's doggin named after that? <laughs> We've never done a doggy style, obviously. <laughs> it's not catchy style for a reason. Exactly. Everyone can imagine dogs, right? But like cats. Uh, I think having sex. He's it, just it, obsessed with pussy. It seems- <laughs> and finally, how long have we been here? We got that gag. Two but it hours. Was the now. lady that did they it. They dance okay. around that very carefully in this, though. There's an area mention. It's a the wonder word. they didn't. They didn't go the whole Mrs. Slocum and just. Um, you know that uh, where pollical dogs and jellical cats come from. Um, please God it's like this bastardization <laughs> of, of, of how children talk it is but indeed it's his version it's Eliot's uh, riffing on Victorian British language we would say poor little dog poor little dogs jealous, dear little cats Aww. it's like how can you make this worse is to replicate the, the, the speech. speech patterns of the Tory diseased <laughs> children <laughs> But this, but, the, but, but this is the thing. This is what they're trying to impose this narrative on. These alleged life and death stakes of getting to the heaviside layer. Dear little cats. Going, going back to, to, to the stakes and to jellical cats. Like, did I miss it? Or was it ever established that Victoria isn't a jellical cat? They never explain. No. Like, She's like, just thrown out of the she, bag at the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, oh, maybe someday I can be a jellical cat too. It's like, maybe you already are. Because <laughs> like, we can't now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a I state think, of mind. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it's 
she she doesn't she just doesn't like believe slang, she's one. But they don't really explain. <laughs> yeah. They just keep on saying Jellicle cats over and over and over again. And then you're like, okay, I get it. But then you're like, but do I? <laughs> but the musical number's been going for four minutes at this point. <laughs> and all they've just told me is that Jellicle cats can and Jellicle cats do. If you just explain to her that, like, Jellicle cat, it's just a cat. It's basically just a cat with a human nose. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And look at yourself now. Um, And it's interesting how, again, in terms of special effects, like, however uncanny the human actors playing the cat, like, the main actors playing the cats look, like, say, McKellen and and Dench and, and Dorillo... Oh, no. What you notice, and what you notice is like the cockroaches. <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't even going to go there. Oh, I was going to say what you notice is like you notice that there are certain cats that because they don't have the star power didn't get the same VFX attention as well. So like that entire sequence with the Cockney but also Irish house robbing cats, yeah. which is like you can tell that they're like, well, there's nobody famous in this sequence, so leave Jerry. that Mungo Jerry yeah. and Rumple Teaser. Some it's of like, the worst CGI in the film, yes. which is saying a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we can tell we don't have to put any effort into this because this isn't going to appear in anybody's for your consideration reel. And it's um, also one of the horniest sections as well. I mean, there's the three of them oh. romping about in a bed and in the end, Victoria's given a pearl necklace. How yep. lovely. Yes. So that what she nearly chokes on. That was so ongoing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was actually going... I was going to ask, but I feel like that's already been answered. Andrew, you mentioned that you found that particularly disturbing with the watch and the, the pearls. What yeah, was no, it about no, that sequence I think that's I've so unsettling? I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before. I have some weird tactile aversion to all that mess. I remember this was yeah. in heat when Al Pacino's necklace was going right, in Diane's yes, door as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, stop that. It's not nice. Oh, no. He's actually grimacing love, here, folks. You should see this. I love that it's like, you just watch Cats, but it's the moment, it's the idea of wearing something around your neck. I don't know brought it up. Yeah, but it, but it was gross. And there must be other people who are like me who, fi- who found that whole... Uh, oh, there's a Reddit like, thread out there I, somewhere. I can't imagine there's anybody you like. Oh, no, no. Well, of course there are people like that was it. extremely S&M, uh, very, like... Skimbleshanks, right? Skimble yeah. Skimble 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 yeah. Yes. Like, it's, yes. Like if you're wearing the 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 over the, the suspenders with nothing underneath. That's it. Yeah. It's a bit and with a little hole in the back like it's as well. Very like queer culture, like which I found like he was going to head off to heaven or something afterwards. I mean, <laughs> heaven the nightclub. Not. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least in time of Finland, like the next kind of cell like, yeah. will like find has some kind of like satisfaction yeah. to the. You know where you're the, going. Yeah. Like, this yeah, this yeah. could have gone anywhere. But if it is, had to say, it isn't going anywhere though. <laughs> This is the argument that yes, they made Skimbleshanks the the gay cat instead of Mr. Misopheles because Mr. Um, Misopheles had to have a relationship with Victoria. Because he is the love interest cat, which is an interesting. They all wear. They all wear. They're all all over each other for the whole time. Love interest, not uh, (laughs) love. How how upset do you think Tom Hooper was when Eddie Redmayne turned down Mr. Misopheles? I think that's the smartest thing Eddie Redmayne's ever done in his career. That kind of pathetic mewling. Sad sack performance that it's turned into, uh, where he's like a wow, 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 magician instead of a flamboyant one, is 
definitely the kind of thing that Eddie Redmayne could do. Like, and uh, obviously, he's. Got I mean, that's how I know he's the love interest. He's the most bland, pathetic one of yeah, the lot. Yeah, this the one character that like I can't I can't imagine anybody being horny for um, Mr. Mustelius. Yeah. I don't know. He's he's the kind of cat I think all those Timothy Chalamet fans. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! You were sitting right beside an actual Chalamaniac writer. A Chalamaniac. Oh. Listeners to the podcast, we want to distance ourselves from. <laughs> he's thin and he's black hair and he's got no personality. He's perfect. Timmy has loads of personality. Excuse me. Well, if it ever shows itself, let oh. me know. His whole musical number in this. Okay, Phil, don't get catty. <laughs> <laughs> his his musical number in this does have the wings. energy of Was trying it? to coax an erection out of like somebody that's just it's not happening because he just or, goes ooh <laughs> <laughs> so you're waiting for the sequence drink. where his wand just kind of flops <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you've got all every other character is kind of like re, like rallying around him to go no no it's okay it's okay it you happens to a lot of cats yeah, yeah. come on no we all believe in you yeah. well that, that's the thing is that like and again I'm not a big fan of cats the stage play uh, as we're apparently describing it or as I'm apparently describing it but I'm not a big fan of the musical right but Mr. Mistopheles the musical number is supposed to be this big joyous kind of climactic sort of like crowd pleasing number where it's like hey look at how flamboyant it is you have that chorus which is the chorus that everybody knows from cats with the exception of memory um, but here it becomes this weird sad sack sort of tragic Les Miserables type musical about how crap a magician this one cat is which feels and again it's weird to say that like cats is a complex or, or nuanced <laughs> text that nuanced. requires a, a great deal of understanding but it's like how do you miss what seems to be self-evidently the purpose of Mr. Mistopheles as a musical number and think this is what we're going to hang our big kind of emotional like completion character arc kind of story arc on and one of the things i hate the most about how hooper directs musicals is that so rarely are the the songs actually involving proper singing because he can't even focus on that so a lot of the time it's just kind of sing song talking through through the 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 number and and he'll get his actors to do like entry level like what if you did your line in this emotion so that song, which again is supposed to be this big bombastic triumphant thing, you've got the actor going like, and I am on the roof. And it's like, this is really terrible. It sounds like you're struggling to get to the roof when and you're doing it, it that way. way too yeah. Long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You feel like that song is never going to end because they keep on coming back to him doing that stupid failed yeah. trick. Yeah. And you're like, no, this, and, this and is like, how I'm going to die. Your dramatic payoff is revealing that like Judy Dench is standing, behind you. standing all the behind time. All the Judy time. Dench was inside of us all along. But Judy Dench yeah. is standing behind him going, and we all said, oh, well, I never oh, here we go. was there ever Stop. a cat so clever Jeez. as magical Desist. Mr. Mastop. Foley's. I can't. It's great because you, like, you can tell Judy Dench is like, he's like, act, act, Judy, act, damn it. <laughs> like, have you read the lyrics to the song that I'm singing? It's, yeah. Imagine it's like, no, I'm, I, I can't do the trick. I'm sorry. It's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Take your time. Do the trick. It's like, and when you, you imagine when he eventually gets to do it, it's like, ah, no, I'm finished the trick. And you can tell, <laughs> and as well as that, she probably does want to sing because she was originally cast as in the dual role of Grisabella and uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny Annie Dots 
in the original stage play. So now is her chance to actually get to sing this. And now she's being told, underplay. No, you act. Don't sing, act. Yeah. Act. And it, it must be really difficult to finally get into this thing and then be told, you're in a musical, don't treat it like one. Yeah, it is. It is a mess with them. Before we go, do you want to talk a little bit about the well, human face? Yes, the tiny cockroaches, please. They're so, <laughs> they're so, so disturbing with the, like so. children's faces, like CGI'd onto cockroaches, dancing cockroaches and mice. And the weird sort of like Pink Floyd-esque army of oh, them marching God. as well. Um, and the fact that the CGI is somehow worse than it is for the cats. Much worse. And, much and the decision to use, and again, the mice are from the stage play, admittedly, but to use small children. Tiny babies. Tiny babies. Use them out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and the mice are m- m- mouse sized in relation to a human, in relation to the cats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and kind of the weird, like the, the bit that they're aware that the cats are going to eat them. So you have that, again, that really awful, ironic kind of, and I think Luke's described this as the Marvel style of humor. We're making the joke so you in the audience can't make, their, make it first, which is a very odd approach to take to a musical about seeing cats. But anyway, but the moment where Jenny Any dots is like, uh, dinner and a show and it's like I'm not sure I need to be reminded that, that you're going to take the, these adorable little children and eat them the, the perspective on them is, is really terrible like when all the cockroaches are dancing around on the table the and they're kind of they're in close up and the cats are in the background but the CGI is also bad that they're you can't understand them as being on Scale, the same plane yeah. and then like they reach out and start eating the cockroaches it's oh, they just bang the table. And yeah, it's all just messing with your head because it, like I, I've I've said it already, but it is legitimately upsetting. To look yeah, because <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. like there are personalities and they have like faces, faces. That like tiny children, emotions, and arms. They've given them. They've gone to the effort to actually give them the faces. Yeah. Like, why exactly. on earth did you do that? If oh, at the end of the day, they're just going to be eaten. And, and then at the end, you have the joke with Mr. Mustafa's hat, where he accidentally pulls out a mouse. And the mouse is an adorable child who then panics because he's in a room full of cats. And it's like, well, this is meant to be funny, but... It's disturbing. It's just, yeah. Well, first of all, it's in the middle of your big climactic Let's Rescue Deuteronomy from a barge in the middle of the bed. Again, completely <laughs> undermining the pace. I imagine if they just tried to take the... the like, well, sorry, no, wait. The, the mice are children. <laughs> they have no place in this movie. No. <laughs> what were you about to suggest? Oh, God. No, no. no, no. The Richard saying, Gear mouse story. Say, say if there had that been... If there had been an adult mouse in this movie, <laughs> if they had went to take the adult mouse's clothes off it would have just been like like flesh underneath like Ooh. and they realized oh no i've skinned this mouse <laughs> um, yeah all i want to, uh, like all i kept on thinking about was like a child whose face had been used on this Terrible. like going to the cinema with their parents and going oh god <laughs> this is what this was like it's horrific but that's the thing is and again this is something that i feel kind of bad for the actors because when they're doing it nobody had any idea how this was going to work when you take this role you put your faith in a director so it's like when he tells rebel wilson to cock her legs and scratch herself it's like you as an actor you trust that a director is going to make it work in a way and not like reduce you to a punchline or a joke but even things like say judy dench who i can't imagine imagine she would look the way she does although again 
why didn't she take off her wedding ring? That's the big thing with that with that error with the kind of with the hand with but the wedding I'm ring. I'm sure on. she's like, well, they can just edit it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, doing all putting, that other stuff. <laughs> putting faith in your director, in but, people working on the film. But I think also in this movie, I think there was also a lot of who cares, like there that that there were a lot of people involved in it who were like, no, I'm just. Okay. I'm, I'm very tired. I haven't yeah. slept for exactly. like for 36 <laughs> hours. They went to cat camp. They did. They went to school. Yeah. yeah. Taylor Swift apparently did a video on it where they taught them how to behave like cats. Same thing that they did with um, the actors in the musical, where they would ask them to do cat stuff for the first three days of training. Um, which obviously you know works really well in this film but just theatre theater kids um, get in Andrew Lloyd Webber's hot tub the problem is when you've got Hooper is the one directing your performance you all show up for two weeks of cat school and he says I want you to act like cats and they say great how and he says well figure it out bye and then he CGI room for 82 hours because <laughs> um, you know a lot of the time they're on Four legs, two legs. You're just like, well, well what did they learn? Like, because it's like, because it's like when we, everyone saw that pre-trailer yeah. where it's all the actors talking about it and all they kept on saying was, it's like cats, but they're also humans, but they're cats. And I was like, what did you learn at this school? Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently talking to cat experts, because um, apparently there have been articles studying this, the most cat-like moment in the film or touch in the film is the way in which the cats nuzzle each other's necks. Apparently that is the most like accurate to actual cats direction or performance kind of quirk or trope in the movie which felt like readers wives kind of thing it just was <laughs> not good it, it felt those were that these oh. are cat experts <laughs> well, are veterinarians the yes vets oh vets okay <laughs> <laughs> it seems like like uh, you know you know the way like animal handlers are just people who own cockatoos and come along and want to also be fed at the at the and they say I'm I'm the handler so I, I must be in the credits um, um. but yeah no um in terms of cats is there anything else you want to talk about anything that we haven't discussed already anything jumping out at people um. I love that everybody's like now check the notes well we've just been so fueled by our anger and bitterness towards these things that we felt very oh. little reason to until now oh I have one okay I asked we started off the spoiler zone by asking. What Cats is about for you? Can anybody here guess what Cats is about in big letters? About. Bovril. She's <laughs> <laughs> a commercial cook now. But no, I, I don't know. But for, for Tom Hooper. So when Tom Hooper is sat Thatcherism. down... Thatcherism. <laughs> you're actually probably not that far off. But when Tom <laughs> Hooper was, was asked in interviews um, what the key takeaway of his movie was what his movie oh it's about just... uniting it's about a group of, like joining together and becoming you know the ma- mass becoming one or something like that it, is it it is about and I quote the perils of tribalism there you go this film is about how we as a tribe of cats or a tribe of humans are stronger when we reintegrate into our community the fallen and the forgotten the disgraced the overlooked Victoria's gift to the community is one of kindness and compassion. When she, suge- when she suggests that one of the people on the margins should be reintegrated, so I think like Just most one. of the not, most not, of not, 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 not a, it's not a redemption. It's it's only a redemption story for Grizabella. Not not yeah. not 
Not for the villain of the piece. He he's still kind he's of, still the villain. Yeah. Uh, Ray Winston gets drowned. Exactly. <laughs> so like... And that's pretty rich for a guy who's just directed a film in which most of it is just each cat introducing themselves. <laughs> the, the, the As an individual. The particular horror of it, and it is really badly paced, so that like the first minute of it feels like you've already been there for an hour, and the end so comes true. out of nowhere, even though you've been waiting for it to end for so long. But. After an entire movie of cats introducing themselves to you, the final song, which is the worst one, is Judy Dench telling you how to introduce yourself to a cat, which means that we're only past the formalities <laughs> at the very end of the film, which implies f- like further communication with these animals and goes on and on and on. After like, this, all I want to do is kick a cat, frankly. Like, a lot of musicals will end on a big kind of meta or otherwise goodbye number. Hmm. And this or is even like a, a medley of, of kind of previous yeah. tunes. Yeah. And this is cats aren't dogs. Bear when you say hello to a cat. Maybe give it a treat. The end. Like, it's bizarre. It's a really low note on which to end it all. Yeah. It's just so anticlimactic. Which is, I think, again, is also a theme you've got the Victoria looking at Judy Dench like, I'm oh, my angelical cat. And Judy Dench is like, oh, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got my wedding ring on. <laughs> you are now. Yeah. Um, Go on then, give us a nuzzle. Roll credits. <laughs> yeah. The trick is that you were all along. Um, you just didn't know it. Yeah, it, it's uh, worth noting, by the way, that despite the, despite the obvious sequel hook in that song... There will, there's highly unlikely to be another Cats movie. The movie lost somewhere between $71 million and $100 million, earning less than $10 million at the opening weekend of the box office, less than $20 million worldwide. Um, it's been a fiasco. That's so little. How, how did all of us see it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah because of this podcast. Because of this. Oh, this is uh, the this, only reason. This is the reason that we saw it. And I really genuinely hope then that people went to see Little Women instead. Little Women exactly. is doing very, very well. That's actually. why I wouldn't, like, kind of didn't want to recommend this to anybody. Like, because there's yeah. going to be, like, see Knives Out or Little Women or even even Star Wars, although, although I have no oh, wish gosh. to see it. Let's and, not do this. you've told me that it's terrible. Easy, darling, it's all, easy. It's also one of the nine Star Wars movies. So, like, I f- feel like having having wasted so much time watching, kind of, especially some of the particularly bad ones. Basically, that yeah. now I have to go and see, like, um, yeah, whatever. But whatever. Basically, you have choice, people. <laughs> Exercise it wisely. But I, I would say, and I, I say this as someone that has watched a lot of bad films and kind of has always been drawn to films that sound particularly terrible or have some kind of... <laughs> horror contained within them that, that's that, a hell of a that, caveat there that right? warns most normal people off and it's kind of interesting to see a wider kind of that that effect happen to a wider audience where like the minute that the teasers for this first came on twitter people were having that reaction of this looks terrible i need to see it have you seen the trailer recut the song from us <laughs> it works it's, a lot better it's amazing and um. and uh, as far as I can see, judging by that box office, the only people who are going to see it are, are, are people going to see it for you know ironic purposes well, or, or, or or otherwise. And I will say, because I've always had my terrible taste questions, like <laughs> why do you do this to yourself? It is healthy to to explore things that are nonsensical and upsetting in only a harmless way. <laughs> you know, we live in a very confusing and, and horrifying world and to spend two hours experiencing those emotions in ways that you can laugh at 
in a communal sense. Cathartic. Yeah. By the way, this is also an argument for cats as a therapeutic kind of sexual escape as well that we're making. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, uh, uh, furries, <laughs> I assume, are the other people going to see this, which is fair enough. Um, for some people, that's sports. But for other people, this is, this is for example, how I spend Saturday. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. At the end of this, all I can tell you is that I didn't know whether to cry, scream, or run to the bathroom. Possibly all three. But yeah, no, no like, I mean, I kind of, I'm almost with Luke in this sense, in terms of like there Because being, you're the only person here with this bad taste to that, And who's also fair, seen it twice. That's a very fair point. But the idea of there being kind of. run to the bathroom to get sick. No, I wasn't sure what to do in the bathroom, oh, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, so <laughs> much oh, pent oh, so <laughs> <much laughs> <pent-up laughs> up frustration. What do I, I do with this? Why did I ask that question? <laughs> 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 Andrew, meanwhile, went straight to the milk bar. Um, but anyway, like. To, to get back to kind of what, what Luke was saying there, I think that there is something kind of special in that sense of being brought together by I, well, I, our I, kind of reaction to I it. wouldn't give it any kind of noble... <laughs> <laughs> because it's obviously not done that on purpose. But we, we live in a time where blockbusters of this size are all kind of smoothed out to have as few flaws yes. as possible to achieve to, as wide, to, to appeal to as wide an audience as possible. And everything is presented to us with kind of nostalgia or with it's an event and you don't want to miss out on it the conversation and to be fair and they did try and do that with cats yeah but and like succeeded mobs but, but, but everything is pitched as now and forever you, you already like this and you're going to like it and it's actually part of your identity that you're going to like it so it's actually gratifying to see something that is so universally reviled and to have something that people are united in rejecting because even things that are very big and too big to fail that come out and aren't very good. Hello, are, Lion King. Well, they're remembered as... Well, Justice League, even a big example. The, the, the kind of studios are able to smooth over them as being like divisive at best. Or, you know, even stuff that's bad and well, like, creatively solid, like Lion King, it's, they still garner awards. Mm-hmm. They still are vehemently defended by the people that made them. And I mean, in the context of this particular podcast, it's worth noting that you will never see a Star Wars movie on the bottom 100. You will never see a superhero movie, or at least a modern superhero movie, on the bottom 100 as well. Justice League. Like that Fantastic Four was terrible. Yeah, and it will well. never and make it. Was the, boring. And yeah. it's like, if, if, if it's that bad for a big studio, they'll just reboot it, or else pretend it never happened. Yeah, right. But then is that to do with also the target audience? Because. Usually, when you think about musicals, it's a lot. It's female based or it's LGBTQ based, and it's like yeah. if it's a broad male audience, they'll still be able to whack something out of it, money wise or whatever. But like with something like this, that might be considered more niche, that they'll just let it fail. That's what I was kind that's of wondering about because one, that, that's it exactly. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. we and they pulled off the like awards stuff for it immediately. Well, this is the thing because I, I was talking before Christmas. I noticed the release of the Banks Charlie's Angels. Which isn't a good movie, to be clear, but it is far from the worst movie that I saw last year. Um, and its problems are arguably more interesting than they are, like, out-and-out out bad. Um, and it's notable that it got released in the same weekend as, say, The Current War, which garnered similar reviews. Midway, which garnered similar reviews. I keep track of movies that are going to come into or drop out of the lists. Only one of those three movies, which scored the same critically, earned similar amounts at the box office and generally played to kind of niche audiences, 
only one of those movies scored below a 6.8, and that movie was Charlie's Angels, which pulled a 4, which would put it on the cusp of getting on this list that we're talking about here. And that reason is specifically because it was a movie directed by a woman starring women and happened to focus on themes that were perhaps perceived as being feminist. Same way that I know Luke here has seen Black Christmas, for example, Sophie Takai's yeah. uh, new one. That one is also hovering near the bottom 100 as we speak. And that's Des- a good movie. Yeah, despite, like, I mean, I haven't seen it, but nothing there leads me to believe that it would be any worse than The Nightmare on Elm Street well, reboot, it's a, which it's isn't going to make that, this. It's a movie that confronts rape culture, yeah. which is exactly why it's being downvoted totally, like yeah, that. Strategically. And, like, Cats is terrible, and the musical is not for me. But uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a case where it's being dismissed out of hand by the people that vote for this as well. That stuff's bad anyway. Yeah, because the exists. knives are out for it. So yeah, because it's, it's in a kind of a female or a queer space. Yeah, yeah. and you yeah. can see that in even even inadvertently how critics respond to it. Critics have kind of gone after this as if the one with the most venomous take will be reborn into a world where they've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> but you can like. I think Darren, you would agree. There, there can this kind of thing can happen, and it did happen with um, Charlie's Angels as well, where critics kind of smell blood in the water, and they all go, "I can kind of come out with my cattiest kind of ways." Which of is criticizing why, like, I enjoyed Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair his review of Cats the most because it was actually quite measured, and it didn't go really in on it that I thought that he could have justifiably, mm. but it was actually really measured in tone and was, you know, saying like, "Look." It is, it's hilariously bad, but also, like, it's a spectacle in itself. And, you know, that was the nicest, the best take, I think, that there could be on it, rather than mm. just really trying to do your best jokes. Yeah, and I, I would agree with most of that, I think. Mm. And I think, as I say, it's, it's really, it is bad, but it's really not as terrible as all that. It's just, it becomes then fun to talk well, about that's it. Well, that's it. Yeah. It's the only fun way to experience but it. But on the it's other hand, it's terrible. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> My, my yeah, take is, is I, I talked about the day that Darren lost faith in movies, which is the day that I saw this press screening in the morning and the Star Wars press screening in the afternoon. I would make an entirely credible argument that Star Wars, the, the rise of Skywalker, is a far worse film than this one on multiple levels. Well, that's because but, I have a horny Palpatine. Um, <laughs> 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 horny Palpatine is worse than horny cats. There's a moment where, again, we're in the sports zone for all movies, where Palpatine basically says, excuse me while I <laughs> guy and lets lightning course out of his body in gigantic white streaks as they reach up to the heavens he cackles orgasmically slower slower slower. (laughs) um it is a movie no no don't stop (laughs) the the entire premise of rise of skywalker is built around the idea that a palpatine so i just couldn't stop thinking that for the whole film i was like we had sex can when, I, when did this happen? <laughs> no, I need to see the first date's Palpatine edition. Quick, quick, please. Quick straw What's poll. It? What do we think that he yells as he reaches kind of climax? Pre- Is it feel the power of the dark side? Was it pre-wrinkles? Good, good. Uh, no, it would have been post-wrinkles post-wrinkle. chronologically. Yeah. Chronologically speaking, it would have been post-wrinkles. Philly looks so upset. <laughs> what the hell are you people talking about? Just, 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 can pa- we, can pa- we stare back to... to, to <laughs> that would be marvellous. Because this is more disturbing. <laughs> but, but yeah, what well, just... Uh, to, 
Mando flirts with a woman who's old enough to be his granddaughter, <laughs> yeah. but who the... We should the, probably insert something. I know we do spoil everything. Oh, I'm sorry. But we should, we should probably insert something at some point to say, by the way, there'll, there'll be Star Wars spoilers. Because okay. if we know anything about the internet, don't... Well, actually, all, Darren those, certainly does. all those people who don't want it spoiled have already seen it. Yeah. Is that safe to say? But anyway, let, you're right. Let's get back to cats. <laughs> I was just going to say that um, in as much as you can be measured in your uh, disagreement with cats and whether you how much you might dislike it, I'm I'm one of those people who says it's out there, it's big, it's in the open. Have at it, because I think this. I know some people are trying to give it a little credit that it certainly isn't boring, but. I just think the ineptitude on display here, and especially considering the money and the talents that has been lavished upon it, I say take it down, personally. Oh, no, I get that, but I just think the perspective that Richard Lawson was coming from is there's been mediocre upon mediocre upon mediocre superhero films. Yeah. And they're yeah. just not receiving the absolute drubbing that Cats has. And maybe we should just look at the fact but, that... Go on, what were you going to say? <laughs> No, see, I, I, I think that that's all true. And I think what's happening where people are responding to it in that way and, and, and really kind of tearing it apart is because this is the awards fair version of a terrible film. <laughs> this is what happens when you take someone with no artistic vision or skill. Tell us how, Tell you, us really how you really feel about Tom Hooper. <laughs> He's terrible. You? He sucks. He, he can't direct. I hate him. <laughs> but, oh, don't but, hate but people. Then you, you, then you give that person the platform for a massive disaster this is what they, they, they come up with. And yeah. you have something that is terrible and yet, because of how it's been put together, still accessible to wide audiences, which is quite interesting. But mercifully, they do seem to be rejected. And, and, and what that means is, in, in some ways, yes, it is deserving of kind of being dragged over the, the, the pile like that. And yet also, it's also kind of fine. <laughs> I, I know, but I think what, in that perspective, I think... I think I said this before about something else. Um, just the fact that I think there's a worry there that because it is such a shambles that there won't be that opportunity to make something li- not like this but in that yeah. theme and scheme of it again and will resort to just keep on making superhero yeah. movies ad infinitum and they won't get the criticism that something like this will. Okay, I'm already I'm talking right, about different audiences. Movies. Well, it's worth noting in terms of that because I mean, like we can joke about how horrible Cats looked and how it was obviously a dog Wink, Yay. wink, from the first time we saw it. But um, it is like this was a very safe bet for studios on paper. Like musicals like Les Mis had performed phenomenally well at the box office. Even Greatest Showman, which again, same playbook. This is the exact same playbook they use with Greatest Showman. Greatest Showman was released by Fox opposite The Last Jedi. And it slowly went on to earn its money and to earn its budget back. It had an opening weekend of $6 million, which is about the same as Cats. But it basically drew in family audiences, which oh, no. Cats hasn't managed to do. Just to do with like PR and everything like that. Timothée Chalamet oh. had to go on Twitter on Christmas Eve and tell people, please go see Little Women tomorrow, basically. Because they were so worried that it's so misogynistic out there that no young men or men at yeah. all would bother to go see Little Women, which is actually disgusting. And, I'm so glad it's doing really well. And with a film like this, the, the concern that you would have, because studios do this kind of well. All the time is that people will go, oh well, musicals aren't as musicals don't sell, so I'm not going to commission a musical. Yeah. I don't want what happened yeah. with Cats to happen again, or that's something that's supposed to have camp value. It's supposed to be something that appeals to the LGBT community. Well, I'm not going so to I'm make mass entertainment for them because exactly. they didn't come out and see Cats. Yeah. That would be a concern. Yeah. 
And you have a situation where genuinely, I think, as much of a disaster as this is, I would contend that I would watch this again a hundred times before I watch something like The Danish Girl, which is something that is LGBT themed yeah. and yet is meant to appeal to a mass audience and completely sidelines the, 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 the trans the people that it's supposed game? to be... Which yeah, well, I think he's, he's, he's citing uh, The Danish Girl because that's made by Tom Hooper. Yeah. Oh, right. right, and, right. And, and kind of on screen and off actually ends up sidelining the people that it's supposed to be uh, centering. Right. And yeah, I would be concerned with stuff like that. And, you know, uh, or I would be concerned that things like yes. that Yes, well, again, Hollywood learning the wrong lessons yeah, from, from yeah, something right. like this, where the lesson should be, don't let Tom Hooper so, do this, as so opposed to... Uh, don't don't on the movie, but do it responsibly. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Finally, before we go as well, um, so I was kind of thinking about this when you mentioned the idea that we don't really get blockbusters like this anymore. This is not what a modern kind of big budget thing really looks like as we associate it. I was talking with Luke before Christmas about how... So many blockbusters are sexless. How many blockbusters have kind of sex and romance stripped out of them? And particularly think of the Marvel movies and the way that they've kind of sidelined the idea of love interest for their lead characters. And there's no gay characters uh, at all. Uh, But even even like straight characters, you know, don't typically have... So like Jane Foster was written out of the second Thor movie, for example, and the love interest of Captain America exists only so that you know that he's straight and you can't fantasize about him and Bucky and stuff like that. But even things like the presentation of of male... Um, well, the, not, not to the extent that it would make Disney shareholders uncomfortable um, but even say things like um, you know that, that sort of thing this, the toning down of what we typically associate with kind of the love interest and love triangle that we associate with classic blockbuster cinema kind of being streamlined and kind of stripped away and taken out and a variety of reasons why that might be so it is interesting to have a blockbuster that is explicit. Well, it's too sexy. This is the problem. <laughs> it needs to just like, there needs to be a tipping point. There needs to be like, you know, somewhere in the middle. This yeah. is Everybody. far too much off the charts. Yeah. And it's sexy animals. That's yeah. the other thing. Like They took all the horniness out of all the other movies this year and just put it in yeah, hats. Exactly. <laughs> now, the whole thing just needs to simmer down and have a cigarette. <laughs> Um, it's like, no, 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 no sex in Infinity War. We're just going to scrape that into caps and uh, but, endgame. But this is an example of that problem manifest. Because what you have is, uh, you you have a production that doesn't know how to put that in. Like, it is in the stage production because it's what you get in, in these kind of Broadway musicals. And on Broadway, the performers and the audience are used to that kind of sexuality. Uh, most of them. Well, not that woman. <laughs> not, <though>. Yeah. <laughs> But, boom, boom, boom. But when you have a big blockbuster like this try to replicate it, the actors don't know how to do it. The director certainly doesn't know how to do it. And the audience demonstrably don't know how to process it because it's done really badly at them. And yeah, this is a consequence, I think, of that kind of removal of any sexuality from the big budget films is that when a film tries to do it, it's Ooh, wow. Really bad. Well, the last sexy ones we had were what Twilight, I suppose. Yeah, and squarely at teenage girls. Yeah. I also think this is kind of a problem that I have found a lot of things in changing the uh, the artistic medium in which you're working. Like this is jumping from page to stage to film, and okay, so on the page it works, on the stage it's made to work, whereas this. This doesn't work. I just feel like this is a medium too far. Yeah. Like they, like you say, they don't know how to communicate that kind of sexiness, that kind of live uh, eroticism. 
yeah, in, the, on into film. The, the, you can do it in such a way, but it's not going to be a PG movie. This this stage performance of now the orange cut of cats. <laughs> I think we got it. Even if they're not kind of, even if they're not good, the the way it's performed on stage, it is a replication of kind of cats in heat, which is <laughs> what Ellie. That is would be the R rated version in, in, in kind of top. bits and bobs, kind of writing about and the kind of. But he got a great ass. <laughs> Where is Pacino in this? Could have could have walked in at oh, any moment. Oh, that's tiny children. Exactly what Pacino <laughs> wants to be doing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. like, you're never going to get that same. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. Anyway. Not a dog. What? You little doggy. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. But my point, if I can possibly get it out now after that, uh, is that... He's at home, walking his doggy. Shut up! Like, no matter what play you're adapting, putting it on screen, there's some of the riskiest adaptations you can do because there's a big difference between watching somebody perform on screen and the element of live performance, which is throwing your voice, throwing your energy and out into a crowd, it, the unpredictability of it. You, like, you, you get a different performance well, every night. But I mean, I was going to say, with the recutting of the film, it's very much an unpredictable. You don't know <laughs> what you're going to get. We didn't know we were going to get Ray Winston, for God's sake. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, like, but you've got, like, you've got actors, if they're performing it on Broadway, they are taking these words that do have meter and flow to them, yeah. that have an appeal to Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, who's kind of pitched them at a certain level mm. and they're kind of working them around in their mouths and delivering it in a certain way. But again, on film, nobody involved with this production has any interest in those lyrics, yeah. really. It's just what they have an interest in is the marquee name, Cats, yeah. and the box office that they can get from yeah. it. Like so Taylor Swift can sing, Jason Trudeau can sing, yeah. Judy Dench, everybody knows and loves, same with Ian McKellen. Can they sing? Can they deliver us in a theatrical way? Eh. And I would, I, I, I would say, like, probably of the performances, Taylor Swift and Jason Derulo are the ones that work the best because they are pop stars and they're... They work the best. They're asked to kind of like Taylor, Taylor Swift. A giant yeah. video for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Like they're, they're, mo- they're the ones that are the most effective in traditional terms. Yes. Not, certainly not the most effective in emotional terms. Hello again, Ian McKellen. I remember sitting beside Andrew in the sequence where in the middle of Buster Red Jones, uh, Jason Derulo appears to pour champagne into the mouth of James Corden. Was a moment oh, yes. That, uh, yes. There he was lying with two notably female cats there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, subtle, if, subtle. If they did this on stage, the two of them could maybe hold their own. Um, yeah. I think Idris Elba would be lost. <laughs> no matter what he has to do. Well, yeah. <laughs> to Tony. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's just as 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 the project is conceived, it just doesn't work at all. And yeah, I think that's the one thing we'll definitely all agree on. All right, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about? Anything that we haven't covered already? People, spay your pets. All right then. All right. So um, before we finish up, we normally ask sort of a recommendation. So if there's something you're enjoying at the moment, something that you would like to share with listeners, you want to recommend, share some joy in the world. It can be related to the film. It can be something that's like available at the moment, something that's happening right now. So I'm going to ask Andrew to start us off. Something you're enjoying at the moment and would like to share with listeners that may or may not be cats related. 
Um, something you're feline excited about. Well, there, there, uh, so something that there is cats in is, um, I suppose, this this is a very kind of um, spurious relation, but um, you did put me on the spot. No, sorry. This happens every single week. Inside um, Lewin Davis. Uh, uh, we're, 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 we're watching Rick and Morty. We are, um, yeah. Is it season four now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, so I think it's past season four. But anyway, yes. Anyway, yes. Yeah, I, 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 Anyway, sorry. Um, uh, we'll go with it. Um, yeah, it's quite good. Um, it's it's not. It's Matthew uh, Broderick plays a talking cat. Is the connection that, is, that we're going yeah. for here? And there's also a cat that gets murdered, like in the, the first kind of seconds yes. of, of an episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, you you can. It's a perfect comparison. There was a uh, a Piper Heidsick, um ad in in Cats. That was like how bad. The um, level of punnery was. Yeah, it was terrible. Dear George. I'm sorry, I'm sorry you had to approach it with such fur and loathing. Da, da, da. Um, Phil, something to share with Fur and loathing. We were somewhere around London, at the, edge of the, at the edge of Leicester Square, when the drugs began to take hold. That was this entire experience. Is this any good on drugs? Actually? Oh, people <laughs> keep saying this is great no, to watch drunk good drugs. or stone. <laughs> or it could be the oh, best. Oh, yeah. Okay. Apparently it's great. Our recommendation this it, Go watch Cats But only when stoned Will this be like Glitter Where people are watching it Kind of 20 years from now And trying and, to Like if it comes yeah, a cult class Yeah Watching the cinema And shouting Oh well, like this has Cult classic status Written all over it Doesn't it Because we went to see Glitter We did see Glitter With a crowd It was really good actually Yeah People um, got up and performed At the end Or like did yeah. like Kind of dancing And yeah And there were a lot of Clinking glasses Yes hey. Yeah um, but anyway, Phil, something you'd recommend for listeners? Uh, well, uh, what I'm going to recommend, and this could be funny, um, is uh, I'm going to recommend a TV show, or a TV miniseries, rather, directed by Tom Hooper. Oh, God. Uh, I'm recommending John Adams. Uh, oh, the Paul Giamatti. Uh, exactly. Not, with Paul not Giamatti. Biker Grove. <laughs> not Biker Grove. <laughs> yes, after Biker Grove. Uh, yeah, you directed so, that, too. Uh, so I, I, love, I love that Luce. Big fan he, of his work. Big fan of his work. Is Paul Giamatti put upon? No. Any chance? No. no. Well, he only would... by Britain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's the retelling of the life All of Victoria. John Adams, and uh, it's uh, it's great. Uh, Paul Giamatti is fantastic in it. It is uh, Laura Linney as his wife, uh, and even though it's directed by Tom Hooper, it there's it's not as visually uh, obstinate as you might think. There's only there are some of his regrettable Dutch angles in there, but by and large, uh, it's really well researched. It's fantastically performed as you'd expect, and it is shockingly moving. And uh, I something you give a damn about. A damn's about. Oh, oh. You ruined it. You, you, like, jeez. <laughs> oh, God Almighty. That was great, Dan. <laughs> Anyway, John Adams, the HBO miniseries, track it down. It's great. Sorry, I just realised I'm the Rebel Wilson and James Gordon of this podcast. <laughs> you literally are. <laughs> so, Jen, something you'd recommend for this? Um, because we're talking about how bad uh, stuff that incorporates musical numbers can be, I'm going to recommend something that does it really well. It's Babylon Berlin TV show. Um, it's starting back again, the third season um, on Sky Atlantic, and that means now TV this month. And it is incredible and it's the most expensive tv series that they've ever done in europe well european wise and sky atlantic have put money into it uh with a german broadcaster but it's phenomenal there's three different directors that do the whole series and one of them is tom twiker who did run oh. low, run low, run yeah. you can get the first two seasons on 
um, catch up. But basically, it's a, a noir kind of nineteen twenties. Uh, set in Berlin obviously and about a uh, detective who's in the vice squad and it, it, there's beautiful scenes uh, that are done in the musical part of it like where you're seeing uh, Brian Ferry does all the music for it so, oh. um, and it's just lush and gorgeous and brilliant and also there's a bit of Lars Eidinger in there for me as well but yeah I highly 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 recommend it amazing show and Luke uh, well, because this movie probably has ruined Cats, the animal, for anyone that previously enjoyed them, uh, I would recommend that viewers watch Kitty, the Turkish documentary about oh, cats, yes. uh, oh, yeah. which is on Netflix, or it was. Um, it's, it's about the street cats, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about street cats in um, Istanbul. It's just this very simple documentary about kind of people's relationship with cats and the kind of parasocial relationships that they, they, they form with them, and kind of even when they're strays these cats it kind of captures that kind of ineffable <laughs> uh, spirit that they can have and it's 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 not a very challenging or, or kind of deep documentary but it is very entertaining and kind of soothing and pleasing to watch it's like a bomb that you can kind of slap on after enduring this and uh, yeah i would recommend that um i just finished last night uh, it'll be available on netflix internationally but i would recommend another great horror of our time uh, Stephen Moffat's and Mark Gattis's Dracula is on um, it's quite an interesting show the third episode will be very very polarizing but the first two are kind of very gothic uh, hammer horror style camp bit of Agatha Christie thrown in a lot of Christopher Lee a bit Bela Lugosi it, it's really really good and it's meant to be as terrifying and unsettling and as body horror-y as it turns out to be there's a moment where uh, without getting too spoilery Count Dracula is birthed from a dog and somehow it was only the second most horrifying sequence I had seen that night um, because I had watched Cats beforehand um, but yes okay so if people are looking for a bit more film a bit more Jen a bit more Luke in their lives where can they find you guys online they can't <laughs> I'm okay they can't find <laughs> Phil <laughs> Phil does not speak for everybody <laughs> um, I'm Jen Pops on Twitter which is a double N and that sounds pretentious but it's only that because there was six other Jennifers in my class when I was in school and I had to differentiate myself in some other way so that's it and I am Mr. Cynical on Twitter. That's Cynical with an I. You can also find me on filmandublin.ie where you can also find my article, Is Cats the First Cursed Blockbuster? <laughs> and you can find me Spoiler on my... listeners. <laughs> you can find me on my other podcast, the Breakout Roll podcast, which should be returning soon. Do we know what we're discussing? I'll send you a recording of me saying <laughs> Also put in a joke where I say it's um, ineffably bad. It's effing bad. <laughs> it's effing bad. <laughs> hey. uh, perfect. Um, you can follow the 250 online and at the 250. Uh, we're, we're, we are available on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are sold or not sold. And join us next week when we're, we're going to be doing something a little bit more unconventional. We'll be taking a look at something that is perhaps more intentionally horrific than the movie that we've just subjected you to. We'll be discussing... Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, uh, which is an awards contender, South Korean film. Um, and we will be joined for that by the wonderful Graham Day and Breed Martin. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. 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 A cat is not a dog. And the memories were lost long ago. So I'll dance with these.